Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. Summer days on SENZ. It's Kiwi for sport. And welcome to SENZ Summer Days with Stephen McIver. It's 10.04 and we've got a big day today. Coming shortly, ultra runner Emma Timmis on her soon-to-be-ratified world record run to raise money for mental health. At half past 10, new warrior, old warrior, Sean Johnson talks about coming home in a conversation we had last night. And let me tell you, the self-reflection and excitement Sean conveys about the player he is now... I haven't heard in all the years I have known him, and that would be 20-odd years. At 11 o'clock this morning, New Zealand Athletics say goodbye to their high-performance director, Scott Goodman, who's overseen some of New Zealand's biggest names since 2011. And we stay in the coaching world because Auckland coach, cricket cricket coach Heinrich Milan talks about going off to coach Ireland. After midday, the Super Rugby Pacific teams are in pre-season. Hurricane coach Jason Holland is with us. Just after 12.20, surfer Paige Harrop because the 2022 Nationals are on the west coast of the South Island this year in Westport. And after one, new Davis Cup captain Kelly Evans. So as you can see, we have a completely stacked show for you today and you deserve it just by being part of the family here at SENZ. You can listen on your local frequency or go anywhere, anytime, any who on the SENZ app. If you're listening in Australia on the SEN, uh, good morning to you wherever you might be, and I trust it's a fine old day. But let's start with something that sounds completely ridiculous to the normal human being. Someone once told me that the body's not built to run even one marathon. It's just not right for the body, even though we know it goes on all the time. So can you imagine running 100 kilometres a day and then finishing it off after 21 days with, you know, a, a, you know, a small little 130k run? Well, that's what Emma Timmis did from December 18, ran from the top of the country to the bottom of the country. In 20 days, 17 hours and 17 minutes. It's a soon-to-be-ratified world record. Now, the old record, just to put this in context, the old record was 35 days and 27 minutes. This amazing woman, Emma Timmis, joins us now on SNZ. Good morning to you, Emma. 
good morning. When you when you say that, it uh, sounds a lot more impressive than it did beforehand. <laughs> well, well, it's incredibly impressive. Or I could say, are you just bonkers? Oh yeah, completely. So I accept <laughs> that one too. <laughs> let, let's let's look at this. It took a while to plan this. Uh, four years is my understanding. Yeah. What was th- what drove you to do this? So I I love ultra long distance running. It's a big passion of mine, and I've been in New Zealand for six years now. And four years ago, like you say, I decided that I wanted to do this, um, do the run to see New Zealand and to push my body and my mind as much as I could. But unfortunately. Four years ago when I planned it, I suffered with a leg injury that put a hold to all of my running for quite a few years. And then I had an operation and got my leg fixed. And then when I finally got back into my running about a year and a half ago, I decided it was kind of a good time to try and push myself and do it. But in that three years where I wasn't really able to run, I really struggled with my own mental health and kind of lost my sense of identity and my sense of purpose in life because running was such a huge thing Mm. for me. I struggled with depression and anxiety. And then when I was able to run again and get back into it and decided that I wanted to do the length of New Zealand run, I decided that I really wanted to raise awareness and money for youth mental health as well. So the two things kind of all tied in together. So, yes, it's kind of been a four-year process of me planning this, but a lot happened in that four years and there was a lot of growth and development within myself and a lot of kind of a change in the way that I approach things and how I wanted to do this and the reasons for wanting to do it as well. So, you know, it all kind of came together within the last month of me being physically and mentally capable of doing this run, but also raising money and awareness for youth mental health. And I've just ticked over my target of $21,000 for Youth Line, which is amazing. I, I've I've done a little bit of running a long time ago, right? I think I completed a couple of half marathons, and and what I discovered, and this is I'm, I'm intrigued to know, it becomes an addiction that if you don't yes. get your run, you suddenly go, oh, I'm not there. The fact that you had three years out, did it? Did you realise you were addicted to running, and that's what sent you down that path of depression? I think for me, there was a a whole variety of different things. Yes, there is exactly like you're saying that I I guess the way that I view it is more that, you know, when you do exercise and when you run, it releases all of those real happy hormones like, um, yeah, you just feel Mm. good because Mm. it's releasing the good hormones. But then also for me, you know, I've run since I was 12 years old. It's a huge part of who I am. There's not really been that many times in my life where I've not been able to run. So just that huge piece of my life that's missing you know what whatever someone might be into maybe someone's into reading books and then all of a sudden they can't read or they're into baking and they can't bake you know when that thing that you truly love is taken away from you you really feel quite lost and that was that was a huge thing for me just really missing that part of me so how do you go about rebuilding yourself mentally yeah well one of the things that came out of this is that I'd never really struggled that much with my mental health before and even though I could empathize and sympathize with people that had had that I never really knew how it actually felt and I think going through depression and anxiety myself felt it it was horrendous for me I felt really really terrible and one thing that I drew on from that was no matter how bad I felt during the run no matter how much I wanted to stop and how terrible I was feeling I would never feel as low as I felt during those times. So that was something I could really draw on and say, you know what, 
there are other people out there that are feeling that terrible and I'm raising money and awareness for those people. So that kind of pushed me through when I was struggling in the run. 20 days, 17 hours and 17 minutes. How much training per week? How many Ks do you have to put on your feet just to be ready to do that? Yeah, quite a lot. <laughs> um, so it all it all changed throughout. Obviously, I was building up my fitness. Um, the longest distance that I did throughout a whole week was 184 kilometers, which, you know, it sounds massive, but actually compared to doing 100 a day, it's, it's still a long way off. Okay, so 100 Ks a day. You heard my intro, though. Someone said to me, the body's just not built to, build to, built to do a, a marathon. You're doing two and a bit a day. What do you say to that? I I personally think that the human body is capable of so much more than we're aware. I think I think people could probably even do more than I did. There were other obstacles that got in the way during my twenty one days that prevented me from doing more. And yeah, I just I think we underestimate what our human body is capable of. I think there's there's a lot more in the tank. You said uh, that you wanted to see New Zealand. Uh, at one point, did you actually see New Zealand or were you just biting back pain? <laughs> I've basically seen four metres in front of my feet on the ground for the, the whole length of New Zealand. So, yeah, every now and then I would glimpse around and see the beautiful views, but mostly it was just looking at the floor and making sure I don't fall over. Yeah, but that's, but that's an enormous mental challenge when you're looking at tarmac or the, the booms of the yeah. roads every day for 20 days, 17 hours and 17 minutes. Yeah, and there were many people that came and ran with me during the whole 21 days and a lot of the time I was saying to those people, this is all a mental game. It was not so much about the running. Um, it was more just about tolerance of the roads, tolerance of the vehicles, tolerance of the drivers, tolerance of the noise. The noise running down State Highway 1 is just mind-blowing. You you can't think because the noise is so loud and it's literally right next to you. So it's it's definitely more of a mind game than a physical game, I would say. Did you at all feel unsafe when you're running down State Highway 1? Oh, massively. Really? Most of the time, to be honest. Really? Yeah, yeah. What do, yeah. I mean, we, we obviously you had uh, crews before and after you making sure that they, they knew there was a, a runner on the road, but did everybody take yeah. notice of that? Um, no. So actually on Christmas Day, my partner was cycling behind me and he got hit by a car. So that was one of the many obstacles that we had to face along the way. What do you learn about yourself when you do these? Um, I think it's just learning that that we can achieve anything. You know, there was not any point during the run that I saw it as a 21-day run. It was, for me, it was multiple versions of a 10K run, multiple versions of a 5K run, just breaking it all down. And when you break down any huge task, it becomes manageable and you can chip away at it and you can achieve something. And, you know, that can just be put to anything in life. Whatever you want to achieve, you just break it down and slowly chip away at it. And before you know it, you've done. I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued because uh, we're talking ultra, ultra, ultra distance here. Is there any time during these days that you you hit the wall and you go, oh, hang on, I'm only six, seven, ten days through and I've still got a long way to go? And who do you turn to to get yourself back up the next day? Um, I wouldn't say that I necessarily felt 
exactly as you're saying just because i i'm very aware that if you start thinking you know oh, i'm only on day three and i've got so far to go that it can be overwhelming and you really need to have control of your mind to be able to get through something like this so i was always only focusing on the moment every single moment when i was on the roads i would just think just do the very best that you can in this moment right now if the very best that you can do is walking then you walk if the very best that you can do is jogging then you jog if you can run fantastic but i would only ever focus on that moment and that that is what got me through just thinking right now i'm doing the best i can and that is whatever it is at the time Emma, you've admitted looking at four metres in front of you for most of this run, but was there any particular part of the run you went, wow, how lucky am I to be in this country running on these roads? Oh, yeah, so many times, actually. But I, I would say that the most spectacular um, environment that I was in and the most the time that sticks with me most is the very far north, you know, around Cape Rianga. It's spectacular. It's just out of this world how beautiful it is and i'm so glad that i got to see it i, I always maintain one of the you have little wins on runs and the, particularly for me a little win would always be getting up a big hill what was the biggest hill you had to deal yeah. with oh good question i'm not sure so around the north island there was um the brinderwind yep. and the bombay hills so i don't i can't recall what actual elevation the very top of those is but they were just kind of constant and windy and they were actually really beautiful and like you say it's, a, it's kind of a little win it's a little challenge with yourself you're like i'm getting near the top and just keep chipping away at it so i actually really enjoyed those moments oh, oh so you're, you're you're a bit of a masochist because you like the long drawn out hill <laughs> rather than the short sharp i'll get it up there <laughs> Yeah, 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 I think so. You probably hit the nail on the head there. <laughs> we, we, we have to talk about the physical toll it has taken on your body. Uh, I, I read yeah. uh, the hip uh, played up a little bit, or was it a leg? It was, yeah, so it was my right leg. So the camber on the side of the road across State Highway 1 is very tough on the body. Sometimes it's a, quite a steep, sharp camber at the side of the road. Sometimes it's more gentle, but it's pretty much always there. And after, I don't know, probably after five days of running on it, you become very, very sensitive to it. So the whole of my right leg is pretty much injured from the toe to the hip and had to deal with multiple days of the injuries getting so bad that I didn't know if I could go anywhere anymore. But luckily, people just came out and helped me. It was amazing. The, the community that kind of gathered around me during this run was just mind-blowing. I had physios, acupuncturists, osteopaths come out and help me whenever I was struggling. It was absolutely amazing. How many pairs of shoes did you go through? Um, four pairs of shoes in the end. Although all? I wouldn't say that any of them are completely worn through. Wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, quite incredible. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, they're not they're not fully worn through either. They're still still wearable shoes. Uh, I'm, 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 I'm opening up a chance here to you to plug the brand of shoe that you use for anyone that wants to go ultra running oh. or running in general. So I'm, I'm giving you that opportunity yeah. right now. I I was very lucky to be sponsored by New Balance and their shoes saved my feet as well. So All right, very, so, very lucky. So if anyone wants to run over 100Ks or over 50Ks, New Balance is the way to go. Yeah. I have a question for you. Um, a texter yeah. who is uh, pretty happy is saying, Logan and Christ, she says, it's great to finally get an ultra runner on the news. It's rare these days. Can you ask Emma, oh. what is the next actual event here, is the next actual event will be, and will she be at the Northburn 100 miler in March? Oh, <laughs> I 
I'm not that confident my feet will be capable of running anywhere by March, I'm afraid. But I have looked at Northburn in the past. It's been on the list. But this year, I'm going to have to sit that one out. What sort of uh, course is the 100-miler in Northburn? Uh, it's a it's a 100-mile, it's a looped race. I think it's three loops and obviously 100 miles you go for a long time. So you go through the night. And again, it's another one of those where the community feel is pretty nice you know everyone comes through the aid stations they're all cheering each other on and encouraging each other so yeah are you done cool. are you done with this i i say that i say i am after every everything that i do i'm always like that's it that's the end and then within a few weeks i'll be like oh this sounds like a good idea um can't answer that question right now because my feet are so swollen that I, i'm not capable of doing anything but there's, oh there's nothing imminently on on the radar your feet are swollen. Can you put actually shoes back on, or is it? I'm starting to feel a little no. sick in the stomach. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> um, no, I can't put shoes on at the moment. I've not had any shoes on since finishing on Friday night. Oh gosh! So how long will it take yeah. for the swelling to go down? I'm not sure. One, I woke up this morning and my left foot is looking more like a foot rather than a balloon. So that one might be on the way to healing. My right foot, however, is still. More like a melon. Okay, so, so that's not a great sell to be an ultra runner. Thanks very much. I appreciate that one. I'm starting to feel now. I'm starting to feel queasy. Emma, can, uh, when will it be? When will it be ratified as a world record? Um, so I've not even got home yet. Actually, I'm still on my way back home um, so once I get home I've got a big job of uploading all of the evidence that we've gathered over the last 21 days and then I send that off to Guinness and then they have to take their time going through everything with a fine tooth comb and making sure that I've done everything absolutely correctly so it, it could be a little while yet well it sounds like it's worthy of a world record congratulations Emma 20 Thank days you. 17 hours and 17 minutes top to the bottom of New Zealand uh, look after after those feet, and uh, I'm sure we'll hear from you again. I think a book should be in the wind. Yeah, yeah, that is that is definitely on the cards. Emma, thanks so much, and, and look after yourself. Thank you very much. Have a great day. Yeah, you too. Emma Timmis, there you go. 2,100, 2100 kilometres, 20 days, 17 hours and 17 minutes. Let me just remind you the old record, 35 days. In 27 minutes. What an amazing woman. An artist out of Kaiapoi. It's 10.19, not too far away. Sean Johnson, Warrior 2.0, 3.0, we'll find out. Please, but I think, um, like I said earlier, man, like I am one just to just roll with the punches and just try and make the most out of each situation, you know, and not, not dwell on what you don't have and sort of look at what you do have. So very fortunate that I can be back at the club and... Um, yeah, man, get to go to work with some some really good, really good people. It's nice to have you back, buddy. Welcome home. Nah, appreciate it, man. Really do. Sean Johnson. Now, last week we were talking about the Warriors, and I was quite adamant that I wasn't convinced that Sean was the sort of player that was going to lead the team around. I am quite happy to admit, after talking to him last night, that I was wrong. Wrong in the fact that I hadn't had a conversation like that with Sean ever. And I walked away from that interview going, wow, maybe it could be their year. I threw that one out. And, 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 and John, when you listen to that interview, you realize that his motivation is completely different. Yeah, impressive. Man, that was impressive. Um, and admitted that he didn't know what player he was when last time he was at the Warriors. And it took him to go over to Cronulla and kind of find himself with these 
hard-nosed uh, professionals who play Origin, who win premierships, who just let him be himself rather than over here in his first stint at the Warriors, Stephen. I think the public told Sean Johnson what he was rather than him learning who he was. His quote, caught in, caught in the middle, wasn't sure what sort of player he was. Now he's very clear on what type of player he is. So after hearing that, what do you think about the Warriors' chances moving forward with this... 3.0 version of Sean Johnson, which sounds right on point. 0800-150811. Give us your thoughts on that. 0800-150811. After hearing the interview, do you believe the Warriors are in a better space with this version of Sean Johnson, who sounds to me like he is very, very focused about the season ahead? 0800-150811 here on SENZ Summer Days. on a Tuesday morning nationwide here on SENZ, 0800-150811 if you have some thoughts on the Sean Johnson interview, which was very reflective on who the player is now and what he wants to do, but it hasn't convinced a couple of you. Uh, Mark says, how about I let you know about the Warriors in September? And then this one, Stephen, the Warriors won't make the top eight. Promises the world delivers Zilch. In the sense of the interview, he actually didn't promise anything. Uh, Jared has just popped up and said, uh, look, great interview. Sure sounds like a more mature Sean Johnson. Uh, Loved his honesty on reflection of where his career is at. Hope he plays a great season. Would be just the tonic the Warriors need. Thanks for the text, mate. You could have called in. I do love a chat. But this one (laughs) sounds like an out-and-out Warriors fan. And Samantha, thank you so much for texting in. But it would have been nice to have a chat to you because I do love having a chat to you, folks. This one, Sean is going to win it for the Warriors. I've been a massive fan of them for years and believe they can certainly do it with Sean's help. I used to have an argument with my old rugby league producer that he just wasn't the guy. And to this day, my old producer, Dean, says he is the star, Was always, will always be the star. And the fact that they let him go was one of the biggest mistakes they ever made. He was firmly convinced that with Sean Johnson and the team, time would tell and they would win a premiership. So now we will just have to wait and see. If you have some thoughts on Sean back at the Warriors after hearing that interview, I'm convinced he's in a completely different animal now. And it'll be interesting. And when, when he played at the Cronulla Sharks, he was a different player. He wasn't the show and go boy. He wasn't the big stepper. He was very much pass and make things set him up. And that's what he intends to come back and do here. Coming your way after 11 o'clock this morning, it feels a bit like Coach's Corner. Tell me about that in a moment. Summer Days on SENZ. It's Kiwi for Sport. 0800 150 Good morning, Vaughan. Good morning, Stephen. How are you? Yeah, good, mate. What's on your mind? Um, oh, just touching on that interview, I sort of, I think with SJ, like, he sort of touched on everything that I think he sort of demonstrated over the last three years, being at the Sharks with his maturity. Um... And even going into the criticisms that sort of plagued him through his career as well, you know, like, again, like quite mature to, to bring that up and accept it and sort of know where his game is at and what he needs to bring to the Warriors now as well. Do you, do you feel a lot more confidence after hearing that interview with him? Well, I've, I've been, like, I'm, I'm a huge Estee fan, so I've always had the confidence in them, you know, and there's been times where I guess, his talent has been the gift and the curse 
Whereas, you know, with <laughs> that, White, that's a like good... he touched on, he touched on it, like, people would be like, he needs to produce the brilliance, but then the other side would be like, he needs to manage the game. Yeah, so, well, like, we'll... we'll, we'll, we'll see both. Yeah, we'll soon find out. Appreciate your thoughts on that, Vaughan. It's back up on the app already, so you can re-listen to it and have another good think about how you think Sean Johnson might go in season 2022. Coach's Corner coming your way after 11 here on SENZ. Summer days on SENZ. It's Kiwi for Sport. Three Tuesday morning nationwide and SENZ wherever you are. I hope you're feeling good. That music makes me feel good. Nothing like a big, long electric guitar riff. Anyway, uh, day three of the test in Christchurch, New Zealand have uh, enforced the follow-on with Bangladesh, who trailed by 391 runs, 126 all out in their first innings, chasing 521. So they're currently four without loss, but the follow-on has been enforced. If you want thoughts about Sean Johnson after that interview, then feel free to call us 0800 150811. That's 0800 150811. In the meantime, the first of our Coach's Corner Hour, you might say. After more than 10 years in the role, Scott Goodman has resigned from his successful tenure as the High Performance Director at Athletics in New Zealand. He's heading back home to Australia and he'll leave New Zealand in late January to take up a new sporting role in his homeland of Australia. Uh, He's the longest-standing high-performance director with a major New Zealand national sports organisation. He joined Athletics New Zealand in 2011. He's seen some of the biggest names do some of the best jobs for New Zealand. He joins us right now. Uh, Good morning to you, Scott. Uh, How do you feel about uh, going home, but what you've achieved? Yeah, I'm pretty sad about, about leaving, and a lot of that's just to do with personal situation, particularly around COVID and uh, the challenges of trying to travel between Australia and New Zealand. So um, that's a personal position. But the time here has been extraordinary and some of the results, I suppose the four medals in Rio and at the Olympics and the results of the para team over the last two Paralympics um, have been quite amazing to be part of. So, yeah, I really enjoyed um my time here. When you arrived in 2011, what was the state of New Zealand athletics and how big was the challenge that you saw in front of you? I think at that time we were just at the cusp of moving from being a traditionally amateur sport, and I mean that in the, the right sense, you know, not, not in the approach, but we were starting to, uh, we, we employed our first group of coaches about that time. And we also were getting, our better athletes were getting funding out of the high performance system here in New Zealand. I mean, some of them had been getting funding for a while, but the approach to supporting athletes was becoming professional. And in a, in a way, it was sort of interesting because New Zealand were probably 10 or 15 years behind, say, other Commonwealth countries in that regard. So it was a really interesting time with a lot of volunteer coaches working with quite high level um, athletes that were making major teams and the move towards um, employing coaches and trying to 
I suppose target for us, we targeted throws and, and distance in particular as where we were employing coaches to to work with our key athletes. What was your MO given to you by Athletics New Zealand? Was it to produce more medal winning athletes or change the program as a whole as to future-proof the, the, the sports? Yeah, a little bit of both, but but it, the big one really is around sustainability. And um, for me, where we're leaving now, we, we have a lot of very good young throwers and some of them were in Tokyo. So Maddie Wesh was one that um, we saw finish sixth at the Olympics. But we've got others like Lauren Bruce, Julia Ratcliffe, Connor Bell, and we've got a, a real, um, quite a large group of 16 to 20 year old young throwers. And um, unfortunately, a lot of them haven't got to compete, say, at World Under-20s because of COVID. But we're actually in a pretty healthy state to produce world-class throwers for the next, you know, five to ten years. So, uh, yeah, there, there was a legacy or sustainability piece. But, but at the same time, you know, you need to be performing at the major championships. And, um, you yeah, I'm pretty proud of the fact that we've been able to do that and... I think we're in a good position to continue that through Paris and beyond. So, yeah, I'm, I'm really pleased to be part of that. I'm slightly confused because you're High Performance Director of Athletics New Zealand, yet there's an emphasis on throwers and distance. Yeah, uh, well, the approach here was to have targeted event groups where we would we thought we could have um, sustainable success. So that's where we employed coaches predominantly. So... Um, there's 47 or 49. It changes a little bit with the program, but there's that many. That's the number of events on the program, and uh, the decision was made sort of 10 odd years ago to target uh, throws and distances where we would put our resources. And yeah, we, we just don't have the the money of some other systems to be able to event. Sorry, invest. Uh, the same across all event groups. We supported individual athletes. If somebody's performing in an uh, individual area, uh, we backed pole vault as well. So Jeremy McColl's group and that uh, Eliza McCartney came through that program. But we, we support people like Hamish Kerr or other athletes that break through. But uh, yeah, for a sustainable piece, we just we don't have the budget. You know, like you know, other countries have millions and millions of dollars. We've got a couple of million dollars a year to try and put a program in place and yeah that, that was the priority and that's how we've operated and quite simply this comes down when you talk about budgets actually budget about having coaches right because coaches are the key to success particularly in athletics yeah so we've spent in terms of our coach budget predominantly we've employed throws coaches or we've put money into developing young uh, we've got apprentice coaches and so on and I don't think we've ignored the other event groups but like I said it's been a targeted approach so um, yeah there's more investment and more emphasis gone into those areas and I think it's showing that we've now got a like you know we're in the top seven or eight nations in the world in relation to throwing at major championships our performances so and, and the likelihood will go higher than that. So that's quite amazing um, position to be in. And uh, I think it reflects that it's a healthy approach, but it also reflects, you know, our population and the realities of um, 
some of the other event groups. You know, like different regions of the world are are more, I suppose, genetically attuned to some other events. So, yeah, it's smart to invest where we think we can perform well and consistently for a long period of time. The performance of Hamish Kerr at the Olympics, was that a surprise to you or did you see that one coming, knowing what was going on behind the scenes that we don't see? Uh, We've been supporting Hamish and his coach, Terry Lomax, um, probably pretty heavily for three or four years. So, yes, we we saw that coming. Um, I suppose in our mind, we were hoping he would get into the top 12, so make the final. And some of the issues he'd had over the last couple of years had been his ability to back up. He would get um, so qualifying and then three days later to be able to compete in a final. So he had a period of time for a couple of years to about 2019 World Champs where his ability to back up and compete, um, you know, twice in three days uh, had to be worked on. And he worked closely with a physio and a whole medical support team. So, um yeah, we, we weren't surprised, but to get to where he is and um, be able to back up on two, you know, two comps in three days, um, yeah, we were really, really pleased with that. That was fantastic. I remember vividly watching Eliza McCartney's bronze medal run in the Rio, Rio Games and going, where has this young girl come from? Because winning bronze almost felt like she'd won gold that day. Where is she at now, do you think? Can she get back to that level of performance? Um, I believe she can. She's, we've got her doing a special program where she's not doing pole vault for 12 months and she's working. We've got a, a physio and a, a, one of our former coaches that had been working in America are back in Auckland now and, and they're working with her um, you know, five or six days a week and we, the plan is not to do pole vault until probably June, July uh, this year now. So, and um, I, I reckon it's a 50-50 call that she can get back. And obviously, as long as she can get back, um, she's world class. She's in the top four or five in the world. Like, so, yeah, I, 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 I'm aware that that program is going really well. That we're, a number of people be involved in putting that in place. It must be it must be slightly concerning though for a high performance director to say it's a fifty fifty call on someone who you say is a is a top five athlete in the world in their discipline. Yeah, I suppose it's it happens in all sports that some um, athletes either have uh, ongoing injury battles. It's not the case with Eliza. It's um, it's an inflammation of the tendon, so it's a inflammatory reaction that she gets um, and there's a genetic link to it so that's in her family but uh, the, the I suppose the scientists that are involved and the medical staff that are involved they, they're saying that there's still light at the end of the tunnel and um, we'll just have to see how that evolves but you know sometimes that just happens in sport that people have a, a medical challenge or a ongoing injury challenge that um, prevents them achieving what, you know, otherwise they're capable of achieving. So that's yeah, a terrible um, predicament for someone like Eliza, and she's still really young, so, you know, she could have another two or three Olympics yet. So um, obviously we're all hoping that she gets back and, and can compete and uh, represent New Zealand over the next 10 years.
Scott, can you tell me your opinion of Tom Walsh? Uh, look, he's a great guy and, uh, you know, early day stories about him being a builder and, um, yeah, he, he's sort of a knock-around guy, the, the way he comes across. Uh, he's quite extraordinary to achieve um, what he has with a number of world indoors and world outdoor championships, so two Olympic medals, and he's probably got another two Olympic cycles uh, in, him, in that sport, providing he stays injury-free. He's got a, an amazing support team around him. He has an exercise physiologist, Angus Ross, who's quite extraordinary, world-leading um, guy in his approach to how they do their strength program. They do a, a different regime to what's traditionally used around the world. And, um, yeah, Tom, you know, he's a fantastic guy to have on teams. And, yeah, he's just a, <laughs> he's just a good bloke. So yeah. how, how much, easy to work with Tom. How much further can he throw? Yep. Uh, they seem confident in his support group. Then, like he can be more powerful, which I think he can get up into the twenty threes. And uh, obviously, the other guy in the world, Ryan Krause, is, uh you know he's outstanding. He can do twenty three on a bad day. So, <laughs> if Tom can get at his very best on the right day, not all goes well. Um, we'll see what happens. But I, I think twenty three meters is definitely possible. Still. And he would have seen uh he would have known that Dale Stevenson as coach was going, so has he transitioned nice, nicely into his next his next coaching team? Yeah, well the the guy the young guy that's working with him, Hayden Hall, uh has been working alongside Dale for a couple of years now as an apprentice. Yeah. And um yeah, it's an interesting situation. I mean, Tom and Dale had worked together, you know, started off as training partners and coached by a guy called Scott Martin in Melbourne. So they, they've evolved. So Tom's 29 and Dale's 33. So a lot of people forget that they're really quite close in age. And I think over the sort of seven, eight years as an athlete coach, they've um, just grown apart a little bit as well. So... Um, but, yeah, Dale, for family reasons, uh, wants to get back. He's got two young girls and his wife and his parents all live in Melbourne. So um, I think it's nicely set up to transition for Tom's support for the the rest of his career. Like I said, he's got Angus Ross, he's got Hayden Hall, he's got a bloke called John Quinn who works with the Black Cats, does sort of facilitates their team and... Yeah, they've got a really good group and they can still call on Dale when required. So, um, yeah, I think Tom will do really well for another five or six years to see out his career. So what's next for you? Uh, the job in Australia is working with their performance coaches. So their coaches that have got um, athletes, significant athletes, is where they want the emphasis. And um, so they got three medals in Tokyo. And I suppose they're probably aiming to try to get to five or six medals. They had four or five athletes finish fourth. So I think the the major emphasis of my job will be working on uh, w- alongside the athlete and coaches that have sort of got athletes in the top 12. Um, obviously a lot more people in Australia. But, yeah, just, just trying to work with the, the high-end athletes that we've just some changes might be able to make a difference to how they perform at major championships. So, and is that with the AIS? Um, no, nah, it's with Athletics Australia. It'll be based out of Melbourne. 
Um, the AS, I used to work at the AS before I was in this role, and AS has sort of changed how it functions. It's not how a lot of people understand. So they actually, um, yeah, they provide more sports science support. It's not yep. really, um, we don't, there's not like there's a stack. It used to be always 30 or 40 athletes based there in a centralised program. It's not like that anymore. Scott, we really appreciate your uh, time in New Zealand since 2011, and you've overseen a pretty cool period where athletics has been brought back into the forefront of people's minds. So we thank you for that, and we wish you the best uh, going forward. Thanks very much, and um, thanks for your time today. Scott Goodman, the former High Performance Director of Athletics New Zealand, heading off to work for Athletics Australia to see if they can get themselves back on the top of the podium in certain areas. What do you say? Lots of force, not a lot of podiums when it came to athletics at the Olympics. So we've done okay under his guidance. It's 11.18 here on SCNZ Summer Days with Stephen McIver. Uh, If you've got some thoughts on Sean Johnson, uh, then why don't you give us a call now? 0800 150811. Uh, because it was quite a reflective interview we played before 11 o'clock and I've had plenty of texts and saying, wow, uh, didn't expect that. So give us your thoughts now. Pick up the phone and call 0800 150811. Summer days on SENZ. It's Kiwi for Sport. 11.24 this Tuesday morning, we played the Sean Johnson interview uh, just before 11 o'clock. I've had plenty of feedback, and one of, the, one of the clearest indications he gave us about where he is at was when I asked him about expectations going forward. Oh, yeah, look, obviously, um, I expect, uh, you know, like I've always sort of said, you know, when I was a bit younger, like I, I don't really care what everyone else's expectations of, my, you know, of myself are. It's what it's whether I'm meeting my own expectations of myself, and um, you know, obviously, signing back at the club, I knew that there was going to be a bit of pressure with that. Um, you know, even pressure that people want to see. I guess the the young Sean Johnson at times and the steps, and they remember the flash and the yeah. flair. Um, but I guess I signed with confidence, knowing that I'm comfortable in the player I am now. You know, and I've obviously through age and through injury, um, I've had to adapt my game. You know, a little bit here and there. So. You know, look, I, I, I certainly welcome the pressure, you know, and and I think, um, you know, like I can definitely use that um, to my advantage. Um, but, yeah, certainly, mate, I, I've got my own expectations and I, I've, I'm certainly clear about what sort of player I am and what my best performance looks like. So very clear on who he is now as a player is Sean Johnson at 1125 Good morning, Jared. Good morning, Stephen. How are you? Yeah, good, mate. Uh, what did you make of the Sean Johnson interview and what he said? Yeah, I actually texted him uh, before. Uh, and, um, uh, look, he certainly sounds a more mature uh, Sean Johnson. Um, and I, I just hope, for his own sake, because, you know what, Steve, to be honest, I, I think it takes a lot of guts what he's doing going back to the club. I know he loves the club. But, uh, to go back... And, and go through uh, the affair, love affair with the, the Warriors again and, uh, and show a new Sean Johnson takes a lot of uh, guts to go back to the club and have a, have a crack. And, and uh, I think he could just make the difference if he, uh, he, he does his bit, uh, his support roles, and, and is, is a more balanced 
Yeah, there, there sure, was, John. There, what we used there. Yeah, there was some suggestion of a bit of a bit of bad blood, but I think one of the key parts of the interview, interview was that he he hardly knows any of the, uh, the players there because, as he said in one instance, one of the when he was playing the grand final in twenty eleven, one of his players was seven. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I did like I did like the fact that he brought up too that he's going to be the oldest uh, player there, uh, which is interesting. Which is it could be a very good thing because. As you know, Stephen, uh, experience counts for a lot in a sporting team. Yeah, and, and, and especially with the Warriors, uh, he, he can bring a, a lot of valuable uh, advice uh, for those younger players. And I, I really hope he has a great year because we all know he has his knockers. Uh, and I, lo- I love to for him to prove uh, everyone wrong and and, um, and, and the type that he could. Uh, very well add to the team this year. Yeah, no, I, I like the way you're thinking, and I'm, I, I have been a knocker. I'm going to uh, zip my lip after that interview because I honestly believe there's there was a, a genuineness about his desire to perform going forward. Mate, thanks for your call today, Jared. Hey, Richard, how are you? Yeah, good, thanks, Stephen. How are you, mate? Yeah, I'm good, buddy. What, what did you make of the Johnson interview? Um, well, a couple of things. First, like, I think you're, you're 100% right. He's He's a different player, and Warriors fans seem to think that it's all about the flash, and for the last couple of years, what we've really lacked is controlling half, and again, let's be honest, how many NRL quality number seven controlling halves are there that want to come to New Zealand? <laughs> yeah, so, that's a very good point, because normally with the Aussies, you've got to pay overs, and you pay big overs, yeah. but I, I know they're not yeah. paying overs for Sean. Exactly, and they, they, you sit there and go, well, he wants to come back. He wants to be part of the club. He wants to be right by the club. He's got a heck of a forward pack now and some really good talent. I suppose my main question at the moment for him is, if he's going to be the main half and someone targets him, who's his other half? Well, ah, the, the, the great debate. You see, the NRL.com I think it should be Cody Nicarima. I'm going to be quite open yep. and say it should be Ash Taylor. Uh, Ash Taylor, for me, is more of someone who c- can create... Uh, on a potentially a more consistent basis. Now, his time with the Titans would not suggest that, but he's he too yep. is taking a risk and changing the way he is playing the game. So, do they make the eight? Because I'm with you. Big forward pack uh, changes everything. Yep. Yeah, and like some of those guys, like Adam Vanilla Blake, is massive, but he's got an engine. Torsby just doesn't stop. Josh Curran, you and Aitken, all those guys that are playing. Hey, <laughs> In a good position. Can you really. can you stop it? Because the way you're talking, I'm now starting to get excited about the season. All right, so, yeah. so but that's but well, that's a good sign, so, right? I I don't think we yeah. should have unrealistic expectations, and I think the area no, of concern I, will be out in the centres. Yeah, yes and no. Like, uh, like for me, I think my next concern, and I come from a conditioning background, is probably injuries, um, especially for Jordan. Jordan. Sorry, I've got a toddler in the background. That's okay, bud. Um, um, and even he spoke about it. Like, if we can keep him on the field for most of the season, it, it will up the chances. But um, I saw a stat the other day that I think the last three years we've had four to five serious injuries, which is like six weeks longer yep. than above, maybe more. When the three years before that, I think when it was Alex Corvo, we had one one or less every if, season. If, if you look so. at the seasons the Warriors made the grand final, 202 and 211, their consistency and lack of injuries was the obvious one, and it's it's not rocket science. Hey, Richard, where are you calling from today? 
Uh, oh, the wonderful Rosetown. It's a lovely part yeah, of the world. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for your time, mate. I appreciate yeah. it. Don't be afraid to Thanks call again, lot, okay? No, I love it. Thanks. I love the interview. Thanks, mate. 0800 150811. That's 0800 150811. If you've got some thoughts on the Sean Johnson interview. Meanwhile, that same number applies now to Stumped by Stephen. Can you start a big, was it yesterday, the big day? Two stumpings. Two stumpings. I was, like, I don't normally give myself a rap, but I'm going to give myself a rap. And there's a $100 DAB voucher up for grab. That's right. The big ton. What do they call it? A C note? Is it a C note you call it? A C note's on the table. Yeah. Show me the money. All right. Stump by Stephen. 0800 150811. Get on the blower now. Stumped by Stephen. Oh, it's a big day today big after day. he stumped two people yesterday and there is 100 bucks from the TAB via a voucher up for grabs if you win today and also some Sleep Drops Daytime Revive, New Zealand's only specialist range of sleep and stress support supplements. And we head to a new caller, Damon from Palmy North. How are you, Damon? Yeah, good, thank you. Mate, I haven't had you on uh, Stumped by Stephen or Smithy before. First time caller, long time listener. Yeah, long time listener. Um, yeah, I've always been a little bit nervous, but I thought I'd give it a try. <laughs> Good man, that's what we want to hear. Everyone should give it a try every day because it's free, free prizes. Um, so do you know how the game works? You get three sporting categories, you choose one of them, and then I give you three questions. If you get them all right, you win. But if you get one wrong, then who knows what's going to happen with Stephen and the form he's in. So are you ready to play, Damon? I'll give it a crack, thank you. All right, mate. Motorsport, combat sports, or basketball? Quite difficult today, but which one of those do you like? I'll try uh, basketball. Basketball. Nice, nice. All right, let's go. Are you a follower of NBA or breakers or are you into your basketball? Uh, bits and pieces. I like most sports and have general interest. Yeah. Nice, nice. All right. Question number one, Damon. Which two NBA franchises have won the most titles with 17 each? Oh, that's a tough one. I'm just going to go to two that I know the most of, and it'll be, I'll say, the Lakers and um, the Celtics. That's a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. You have whacked the first delivery out of the park, Damon. Well done. Stephen was waiting with his gloves wow. for the stumping. Well, I, I, I was wondering whether we'd get the Celtics one, because that, that was the first one that came to mind for me. People forget about it, right? Because yeah. in the early days of the NBA, they were the, they were the benchmark It's team. like the Rabbitohs in the NRL. You think they're mud. Or the Dragons. Yeah, or the Dragons. Right, OK. Yeah. Nice work, Damon. One to go yet, buddy. Question number two. Wilt Chamberlain has the record for the most points in an NBA game with 100. He also has the record for the most rebounds in a match. How many boards did Wilt pull down in a single game? <laughs> you are, oh, you are kidding. I'm just going to have a guess of about, I don't know, 23. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Okay, so... so Chance that, for a stumping, Stephen. Uh, do I get a... Do we get a clue? Do we get no, a... No clues here. No. So he said 23. I was actually going to... St- I was going to stick in the 20s, but... Okay, let's say 31. 
One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. 55 <laughs> rebounds in one game. Wilt Chamberlain. What a player. Wow. What a player. Unreal. That means you're still alive, Damo. So this question for the 100 bucks from the TAB and the sleep drops, what is Stephen Adams' middle name? Oh, jeepers. He I'm is... just going to have a guess at James. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Stephen to deny again and jackpot to I, 150 I don't know. bucks. Is it Kahu? Is it something like that? One of the worst things Was I, close? I have ever seen done on a cricket field. It is Stephen Funaki Adams. Funaki is his middle name, which means, Damon... He couldn't stump you, so you won a hundred bucks thanks to the TAB. <laughs> oh wow! Thank Woo. you, guys. That's awesome. Bonus. <laughs> a big bonus for you, mate. Congratulations. Where does that money get spent on the TAB? Racing or sport? Uh, I'll probably go to racing. Um, by the way, good interview with Sean Johnson. I'm a I'm a big Johnson fan, and I love the Warriors. They're my team, and. Uh, yeah, I can't wait till they have another successful season. Yeah, it'd be nice to have them home at some stage too, wouldn't it, buddy? Congratulations, mate. You are a winner, winner, chicken dinner today with Sens, okay? Thank you very much. Much appreciated. You are more than welcome. And that's how it works. If you've never called before, don't be shy. That was Damon's first time calling. He said he was a bit nervous and he's walked away a winner. But you don't have to be, uh, you know, looking for a prize to call. Feel free to call us anytime on 0800 150811. That's 0800 150811. Coming shortly, Auckland cricket coach, soon to be Irish cricket coach, Heinrich Milan is next on SNZ Summer Days. Summer Days on SNZ. It's Kiwi for Sport. 11.43, getting plenty of requests and as to where you can hear the Sean Johnson interview from uh, 10.30 this morning. You can go to the SENZ app and look up Morning with Smithy on podcasts. You can find it there or wherever you get your podcast feed, uh, You know whether it be Spotify or whatever other, other applications there are to get your podcast you can hear it there as well uh just in the cricket 19 without loss bangladesh on day three of the second test uh enforcing the follow-on new zealand did after they got uh, bangladesh all out for 126 and on the subject of cricket auckland cricket coach heinrich milan joins us now he is off to become the head coach of ireland and heinrich uh, why ireland yeah, morning, guys. Uh, yeah, look, it's an exciting opportunity for us. And um, look, these opportunities to coach international cricket doesn't come around every day. So uh, really looking forward to it. And, um, you know, hopefully everything goes to plan and we can get out there by the end of the summer. What was the attraction of Ireland? Well, look, I think when you look at their squad, um, you know, they've got a, a nice little blend of some experienced guys and, and then a, a, a real excitement around some of the younger players. You look at some of the numbers, especially around their T20 and in one-day competitions, you know, they've just had three guys nominated to the uh, ICC ODR Team of the Year. And, um, you know, they've got a couple of young guys that, that from a stats perspective, are really up there with, with some of the best in the world. So, it's trying to find the blend of that and um, hopefully over a period of time, um, build a bit of strength around their Red Bull cricket too. They've only played three tests, um, you know, so looking forward to, to build a little bit of longevity in that space too. As a coach, then, you'd want to also look at the high-performance angle and you'd want to see what's below that level. What is cricket like in Ireland and the depth of it? Is it a growth sport? Yeah, 100%. I guess that's the, the you know a real part of this next challenge um, is, is trying to build a squad um, that can compete. And we all know that teams play, but you know it's the depth and the strength of your squad um, that really makes you competitive for, for long periods of time. And 
Um, you know, so getting around the community and, and also looking at, you know, building our coaching network out there. Uh, you know, I've been very fortunate in this country to to understand how a small nation can get in a room and um, and look at the way we operate and, and try and get people on the same page to make sure we push the boat in the same direction. And, you know, hopefully the experience um, that I've gained over here is something that I can share um, in that little journey that, you know, hopefully we can take up in, in the not-too-distant future. Is there a genuine growth, Heinrich, in the counties? Yeah, look, uh, Cricket Island's done a lot of work over the last 12 or 18 months, um, you know, to, to look at how, how to increase participation. Um, and, and, you know, the more we can get the, the main side to play, um, just like we've seen over here with the Black Caps, you know, the more exposure they get, um, the more opportunity they get to, to, to improve and, and, and play a brand of cricket that um, competes for the best in the world, you know, the, the more people want to want to play the game. So that, that's a big piece of what we're going to try and do. And, um, you know, hopefully we can create that environment over there. As a coach, how much better are you having been around the Black Cap environment and being in New Zealand that you can take that experience to Ireland? Yeah, 100%. Uh, I guess, you know, very grateful um, for for the last nine years in this country. And, um, you know, hopefully, you know, we, we, we're pretty keen to um, never say never to come back. But, you know, this is the next opportunity. And, and, and hopefully the experience that we've gained over here over the last nine years um, and, and a big part of you know that experience is working with some world class players that are now performing consistently on the big stage for the Black Caps. So hopefully we can share that um, over there and and, and you know continue um, the exciting coaching journey that's ahead for us. Well, you've had involvement with one of the you talk about the big players, Ross Taylor. When was the first time you worked with him? I think the first time he played for me was uh, probably the second or the third game that we um, uh, that we played against Northern Districts, and, and Ross came in and. Uh, we faced a full prong attack, Saudi, Bolt, um, and Corey Anderson was still bowling uh, a bit that time too. And then I think we got rolled for 52. So it was a pretty challenging conversation <laughs> the first time I went with Ross Taylor. Um, but look, I think, uh, you know, he, he's an absolute legend. Um, you know, really enjoyed his time that he, he spent with me in the stags. Um, you know, I flicked him a note. that It probably took him about four days to get back to me because I'm sure he's had that amount of messaging um, coming to him. But look, absolute legend. And um, hopefully to catch up with uh, with him uh, in, in the distant, in the not too distant future. When you go through adversity, it's, it's how an individual reacts. You're all out for fifty two. What did you see in Ross Taylor then that suggested this individual was going to be something special to New Zealand cricket? Yeah, he's always had a bit of X factor, and that ability to switch formats is, is something that he's shown over a period of time. Um, you know, he's got a real grit around the way he operates, um, and, and I think as a uh, you know, cricket is such a unique sport where we need the individual um, to perform for the team to do well. And, and you know, he's, he's got a real drive and, and a real hunger to be that that, that guy that, that people depend on from a batting point of view. And I mean, his numbers show that over over the you know the last seventeen years that he's played uh, cricket in this country that you know he's got the desire and he's got the ability to to play big innings. Um, and and hopefully he gets uh, you know another opportunity and in, in Christchurch even though um, you know it shows that the bowlers have shown yesterday that they're going to put the, the Bangladeshi boys under a bit of pressure. Let's talk about first class cricket and what's going on. You're at fifth on the Super Smash table at the moment. You've got a fifty percent record and you're sixth in the Ford Trophy. Uh, no Plunkett Shield. Uh, how do you feel your season with Auckland is going? Yeah, look, it's been challenging um, as we all know and. Um, you know, switching formats has obviously had its challenges for us too. But look, we we've we've had a real good discussion again yesterday. You know, we've we've had a fair few of those over the last week or so. Um, and and the boys just got to get out there and, and really you know get their the grit between their teeth and, and and make sure that you know we start looking at what the team needs and playing play accordingly. 
Um, you know, we've, we've, we've only started our, our season. Uh, you know, it's, it's, we've had a lot of cricket, obviously, in a short space of time, and, and there's a lot of cricket to come, and, and, you know, there's not a lot of rest for the wickets. So, look, you, you know, you mentioned that word adversity, um, but, you know, your character gets tested when, when there's a little bit of adversity around, and that's a great opportunity for a couple of players who are in and around that black cap side, especially from a batting point of view, your Glenn Phillips, Mark Chapman's, to, to really, you know, get the grit between their teeth and, and show a bit of character. What's the latest, Heinrich, with Martin Guptill? Yeah, Gap's um, back at training, um, you know, from a physical point of view. Um, he hasn't hit balls for, for a week or so since uh, he got injured. Um, and, and hopefully he um, is, is on track to be included in uh, the back end of the Super Smash for us and um, all things going well um, and, the, and the Australian tour going ahead. You know, that, that's obviously a big piece of his recovery time, but hopefully he can play for us at the back end of the Super Smash and, um, you know, add some, some valuable strength for us at the top of the order. I'm intrigued to know what you think of the state of first-class cricketers and whether or not it's it's not dying, but it's in trouble. Deepak Patel said to us last week, he doesn't watch first-class cricket anymore because it seems that from a, the New Zealand system, it's all about the A's and that's it. Where do you stand on the standard and where it's at at the moment? Look, I think cricket in general is, is pretty strong. And, and, and I guess when you look at the understanding of, you know, if you build a strong system, uh, the top end, the spear end is, is going to be successful. And I think if you look at New Zealand cricket over the last six or eight years, that's exactly what happened. The domestic game has improved. Um, a big part of, of producing players has been that New Zealand A program. Um, obviously, that's been short, cut short a little bit with COVID and stuff over the last two years. Um, but again, I, I think the... The understanding that players are coming through the system and then performing at the, at the spear end and for the black caps is, is a showcase of, of the depth and the strength of your competition. And, and I guess if you look at you know the way people are stepping into that black cap side and performing straight away, that gives you a good guidance of, of where the domestic game's at. So crowds turning up to the domestic game is not a concern for a coach? It's more about just getting the job done? Look, I, I guess it's always nice having people around and playing in front of people. Um, you know, there's various challenges going on around that in, at the moment in the world. And, you know, whether people maybe find it easier to, um, you know, follow it online or, um, you know, maybe have a, a worry about the, the, the big world stuff at the moment, I'm not sure. But look, at the end of the day, for us, it's about, as a coach, it's making sure that, you know, we get our players to, to go out there and, and play what's in front of them, um, have those skills to be able to play differently and, and learn as we go um, to try and get people to play for the Black Caps. And I, I think the Black Caps get some real good support. And look, at the end of the day, it's just, again, my job is making sure that we get players to play at the top end. And, and, and if we can keep doing that, then, you know, hopefully that puts us in good stead moving forward. Do you look at this island coaching job, Heinrich, as maybe another step in the resume to come back and have a crack at the Black Caps job? Look, I guess for me, no. Um, you know, when, when you look at the, the understanding that Ireland is a test nation, it's as big a job, um, you know, moving forward in the world of cricket. There's only 12 of those jobs around I mean, in, in the world games. So, you know, that, that's the opportunity that, that you're after to go out there as a coach and, and, and try and put a structure and a system in place that can, over a period of time, you know, put you in positions to perform consistently. So, um, you know, you, you never know what, what, what the future holds for us and um, you know this is the opportunity that presents itself at the moment and just like I've tried to do over the last eight or nine years from a domestic point of view you know because of the track record over the last eight or nine years you are in a position to have conversations with um, you know international teams and, and again if I do my job over the next three or four years with Highland you know then, then who knows what the future holds and um, looking after that process is, is a key part of what we're going to try and do. Where will you be based? So we'll be in uh, Malahai, just outside of Dublin. Um, so not been to Ireland before. Um, been to the UK and Scotland a fair few times playing cricket. But 
yeah, a nice little opportunity for us. Apparently, we've got to take a lot of warm clothes with, so we'll make sure that we, we acquire that over the next little couple of weeks. And do you drink Guinness? Oh, look, I, I don't mind a beer. Um, really become to uh, enjoy a couple of craft beers around New Zealand, which is um, you know a, a delicacy here. But look, we'll, we'll, we'll get into a couple of Guinnesses, um, I'm sure, over, over our time there. Uh, Heinrich, the best of luck. We wish you all the best. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Summer days on SENZ. It's Kiwi for Sport. 11.58, getting a lot of uh, positive feedback and requests as to where you can hear the Sean Johnson interview. You can go to our SENZ app, look up Mornings with Smithy and podcasts, and you'll find it there. Or you can find it on whatever platform that you listen to your sporting podcasts, okay? But, you know, go onto our SENZ app, Mornings with Smithy, and look up podcasts, and you'll find it there. A lot of positive feedback about how positive Sean Johnson is about coming back for his two-year deal. with He's home. It's his it's as simple as that. Hey, by the way, after one o'clock this afternoon, we're going to talk to a bit of a tennis legend in many ways. And that, of course, is the new Davis Cup coach in the form of Kelly Evenden, the wild man. Kelly Evenden, he's 60 now, based in Seattle and Washington. He's going to be the new the Davis Cup coach. But also after one, we're going to name our Mount Rushmore. For Mount Rushmore, our four, what we think, John and I, our greatest captains team captains can be. If you've got some thoughts on who your favourite captain of a team has been, and then you can go double eight double three. That's the text line, double eight double three. Even call us. I would rather talk to you, but if you want to tell us who your favourite captain has been, double eight double three, or call us 0800-150-811. Coming your way next, after midday, Hurricanes coach Jason Holland here on SENZ. Summer days on SENZ. It's Kiwi for Sport. Twelve oh three. This is SENZ Summer Days with Stephen McIver till two o'clock this afternoon, and it's time to talk a bit of rugger. And we have another version of Super Rugby coming your way this year. February eighteen, it all starts, and it's Super Rugby Pacific, and one of those teams that has. In many ways, when I think about the Hurricanes in Wellington, I sometimes think about the Warriors as well, because Hurricanes fans, I think in the Wellington area and region, are as loyal and as passionate as Warriors fans, which would make Jason Holland, their coach, a pretty happy man, wouldn't it? <laughs> well, afternoon, afternoon. Yeah, they're great fans, all right, and... Um just going to make sure you and something to cheer about. Yeah, well, I suppose the big thing now, when I've, I've led you down this path about the fans, Jason, is you're going to have to deliver for them. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, that's obviously um, been part of the plan, and uh, we've had the boys together for a couple of you know, a couple of days last week and two days um, this week. So uh, everyone's getting their head around that and, and what it's going to take to. To, to win some trophies. So let's talk about this uh, pre-season, which we know players love. This, what is the Surf to Peak Challenge? <laughs> uh, Surf to Peak's been going since 2007. Uh, basically, um, it's a 25-kilometre bike ride around the coast um, where usually there's a 45 to 50-kilometre-hour wind uh, battering <laughs> in the face. Um, and, and the bike finishes up in Oriental Parade. You drop your bike and you've got about a two and a half k straight up, straight up Mount Vic to finish on top of Mount Victoria when you look over the city. So, yeah, she's a pretty grueling race, but um, she's a lot of fun. Does the coaching staff take part? <laughs> it's funny you should say that. I'm a pretty unpopular coach at the moment because uh, in November, when the management were around and the players weren't here, they were still off with their uh, 
with their provinces. We uh, we did a management version, so we did exactly the same course, but uh, may have taken us probably an hour later, an hour longer to finish it. Oh, I'm hearing this young uh, Ruben Love, the first five, was was the go the go to on this. Yeah, he loves it. He loves an event like that, and he's competitive. Um, she's a pretty good race this year, actually. The two of them, Richard Judd, who's a past winner, and Rube's got to the top of the hill together, and was sort of a hundred meter sprint up upstairs, which Rube's got up. He was never. He's got that bit of uh, competition, and was never going to let him lose. But yeah, two in a row, which has um, only been done once before by Brad Shields. Wow, but but it, but it's a good sign that they're always heads in the right game. Tough year for you last year. Uh, what did you learn? And you know the old the old coaching cliche. Uh, what were your takeaways from last season that you can change going into this one? Yeah, it's been it's been sort of typical of the last couple of years, and that um, you know we we can beat anybody on our day. Um, you know, we put teams under pressure and we and we beat teams when we need you know, at times, but the, the small detail and the, and the smaller, you know, the big moments everyone talks about, we've got to be better at winning those um, to make sure we get the consistency that some of the other teams around are getting at the moment. So, yeah, we've got a big focus on it, really understanding what, what you know, what we're about what, as individuals and as a, and as a Hurricanes team and... Um, we think it'll go a long way to helping us to win those those, those big moments. Jason, I would read that as the, the one percenters. And when you t- when we talk about one percenters, do you put the accountability and the responsibility on the players? Uh, yeah, look, it's, it's, always, it's always everybody. Um, yeah, they, they are one percenters. But the funny thing about one percenters is you don't know that, that that's the one percent at the time. Um, so it's about being consistent and being able to nail things every time and be able to be consistent with everything you're doing over the 80 minutes or however long that game goes. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's been a big one. That The big moments of the one percenters are the things that you only know that we'll win it is afterwards. So we just got to challenge ourselves to be consistent and, and nail things every time. We'd like to talk about some individuals, and we talked about fans right at the top of the show, and surely having fan favourite TJ Perinarabak must be a, a huge benefit in so many areas of the game for you. Yeah, look, it's great to have Peter back. He's been an unbelievable hurricane and, and obviously um, had his year in Japan last year, but um, he's boys are, you know, excited to have him back. And we know what Peter brings. He's he's a competitive man who who will, will compete every minute he's in here, whether it's on the field or off the field, and, and drive the boys to do better things. So, yeah, look, we're excited about him. We've got, you know, quite a few, you know, we've got All Blacks coming back. Um, and we've got a good group of young fellas too that, you know, we're really happy we've had them for the last four or five days and they're working working really hard so we're pretty pretty happy with our squad and the balance here yeah, balance is a great word to have, but I, and we were talking about the Warriors in a different sense about how it's important to have experience around you. So the fact that Adi Savia recommits to the Canes is a huge boost for you moving forward, particularly when you've got a lot of of, of kids in there. You might use that term. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, like those boys like to be seen as a group of lads who who will run the will run the cutter and, and, and get good standards for the boys, like. You know, you mentioned Arge and you mentioned you mentioned TJ, but you know we've got a, obviously we've got Golzi still around the place, and Geordie's really growing in that leadership space, and you know even Owen Franks is around the places, uh, you know now. So, you know we've got some guys learning off each other and, and some really really healthy relationships forming. So uh, that's that's what we that's what part of the plan. So is, is that for for me? I look at this and it's very much a coaching thing, Jason. Is that it's all about the collective and all about the leadership group. When you look a, look around other teams in Super Rugby Pacific, do you have strong a strong sense of of confidence that your leadership group is one of the better ones out there? 
Yeah, look, we're, we're always looking to, you know, I think it's a massive part of it's coaching now that, you, you know, it's not like the old days where the coach, you know, ran the cutter and what he says goes and um, it definitely has to be, you know, a, a group effort and having your leaders close to you is a massive part of that and we've got guys who are growing in that space massively and, and we put a lot of time into that in the off-season so we think for this year that that'll be a massive stretch for us and if we can get the balance right again, using that word, but get the balance of guys really nailing the things that they're really good at in that, leader, good at in that leadership group, then I'm, I'm sure we'll, uh, we'll have a strong camp. What's the latest with the Arkeley's tendon of Owen Franks? Yeah, oh, he's, uh, he obviously snapped that in the off-season, working hard to get, to get ready. Um, being Owen, he's meticulous in what he does, so he had the operation 24 hours later. Um, he's bought a hyperbaric chamber, which he's been living in. Um, so he's initially we were told he's out for the season, but mate, he's out there now, and uh, we expect to see him. Obviously, not for the first half of the season, but um, he'll definitely play some rugby for the Kings and back out back half of the season. <laughs> That's a hell of a what do you want for Christmas, Santa? I'll have a hyperbaric chamber, thanks. <laughs> Yeah, mate, these boys, they, they're getting pretty smart at understanding it's their job and without their body, they're, you know, they're really better for their jobs, so they're really investing in them. So always a good example to the boys there that whatever he has to do, he'll do to get his body right. What can you tell us about this lovely pickup from the Highlanders, Tehorangi Walden? Yeah, Tay's a champion. Look, we've um, I've sort of watched him from afar from for a while. He actually did his Achilles and... Um, a year or so ago, so I was really keen to watch him for Taranaki when he started out on the uh, in the NPC, and um, you know he did everything right. So he's been a breath of fresh air for us. Been in the camp, you know he's always smiling. He's got some good knowledge, and um, maybe he'll work hard. So you know he's a, he's a great pickup for us. What's 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 the uh, deal with Nehemiah Milner Scudder and his contract, and and how long will you be with the side, and where do you expect to put him? Yeah, basically um, Scuds is is in at the moment on as a replacement player, so we can replace our All Blacks. So when Geordie comes back, we have to... Uh, Nehi's the replacement for Geordie at the moment. But um, basically it gives Scuds an opportunity to get into our environment and get back into our environment, sorry, and he's been awesome. Um, and if we have any injury or anything, anybody in anywhere in the backs after he's released from the squad um, in mid, mid-February, then we can call him back. So at the moment, he's only contracted for five or six weeks, but... Um, Basically, it's an opportunity to, to get amongst the boys and, and put his best foot forward and, and make sure that he's the guy that we bring back if we have any injuries. We have another version of Super Rugby, and there's a team called Moana Pacifica in there. Going to be tough for them, do you think? Uh, look, at the first year will always be tough, but um, they've got some quality players, and you know I'm just reading about their completing their, their coaching setup. So they're, they're, they've got all the all the tools there, and you know, good coaches, good players, and, and they're putting a lot of time into it. So that'll probably be tougher the first year, but, geez, if you, you wouldn't want to knock off against them because they'll knock you off. So, uh, you know, it'll be under no illusions that um, they can beat anybody on their day. That first game against the Blues is going to be a cracker, isn't it, at Mount Smart? No, that, that's what it is. Yeah, Mount Smart, that will be a big day. It'll be a noisy day. <laughs> but, but you want that. That's the most important thing. Uh, what's the latest you've been told about playing the Aussie teams and the Fijian Drua, who I understand are going to base themselves in Australia for the majority of the season? Yeah, look, it's um, it's keeping options alive at the moment. So the latest draw, obviously, everybody knows we're playing all the New Zealand teams in the first eight weeks. Um so we're still playing, we're still hoping to play against the Australian teams in that one competition. 
and hopefully, or who knows what will happen by April, that uh, we can complete the the round robin with the Aussie teams in the back half of through through some April May and, and uh, go back and forth then. But as we know, we just sort of go with what's put in front of us these days and um, and just keep it happening. From from a coaching perspective and also the players, how tough has the last couple of years been to try and you know try and keep spirits up and just try and have a comp that that is meaningful. Yeah, it's tough. It's, it has been tough, but, um, you know, it's taught us, taught us a lot of things, I think. You know, the boys are uh, a hell of a lot more grateful to be able to play the game they, they want to play for their job. You know, there's, there's good awareness around a bit of gratitude. Um, there's good learning around, you know, being able to just relax a little bit and, and, and go with the flow and adapt and, and roll with the change. I think it's really good skills that we've learned along the way. So, well, it's been hard for everyone around, around everywhere, Um you know, it's been a good opportunity, really, to do things a different way, and that's just how you've got to approach it. One final thought, mate. Uh, Chris Boyd's coming home. Have you had a chat to him already? I haven't chatted to Boyd for a while. I'm sure he's had an absolute ball over there at Northampton. So it's a good old spot. Um, no, no doubt I'll be looking forward to he'll ever. He's always a good man to have a beer with, and, and uh, we'll, we'll share some stories. So, you know, we'll look forward to that. <laughs> I love it when we always talk about these other coaches. Say, no, we'll have a beer first, and then and then we'll talk. Are we are we expecting the the standard high octane approach from the Canes this year? Yeah, mate. Look, we 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 winning winning something we're really driven by. Um, but you know, a real thing that we want to do is be excited about how we play the game, and we want to excite. As you said, we've got all fans not only in Wellington but all over all over our area. So it's important for us to to excite them. But at the end of the day. Uh, I mean, people are really excited when you're winning. So um, yeah, you'll see us play some good footy, but uh, as you say, we've got to nail those little one percent to make sure we're we're on the right side of the scoreboard. Yeah, and you got the Canes first up in Christchurch. Yippee! The Crusaders. Oh, yep. Crusaders. Yep. Excuse yep. me, my apologies. Yeah, no, Crusaders first up, and then the Blues away too. So we've got a good, good, good two weeks to, to look forward to. <laughs> Says he with a wry smile. Jason, thanks for your time, mate. Best of luck. Awesome. No worries. Thanks, mate. Jason Holland. Gosh, why does I say Canes versus Canes? That's a good one, Stephen. You plonker. Uh, yeah, Canes Crusaders first up at Orange Theory Stadium. Oh, that's that's a ripper of a start, hey? I'm licking my lips because um, there's always. I'm a Crusaders fan. Uh, there's plenty of us oh, up really? here in Auckland. Yeah, um, <laughs> but our kryptonite is the Hurricanes. They when they get because they just like Chris was saying on their day they can beat anyone, and quite often their day is against the Crusaders. Um, but they need a big season. The Hurricanes, they were last last year. Without TJ Pedernata, they lacked a whole lot of direction at 9 and 10. And always the criticism of the Hurricanes is they don't have a pack. So if you don't have a pack to lay the platform, then you don't have a classy 9 and 10. You've got no chance of Super Rugby. But they've beefed up their pack this year. They've got Dominic Bird back, uh, a veteran, Ruben Love, who we just heard has won the surf to peak two times in a row. No one's done that since Brad Shields. And TJ Perinata is massive, huge for them. And then add Geordie Barrett, Dane Coles, Artie Severa around that. You've got a, not a bad side. And I, and I wonder too, John, when you talk about the likes of the Coles, Severa particularly, and Barrett, how much different they will be as leaders, having been, obviously, you know, been given a chance, Artie particularly, in the All Black and Prime to lead... Whether that will, you know, finally click because it must be quite a, as he says, a balancing act. Yeah, I think they've gone from reluctant leaders, especially in terms of Artie Savia and even maybe Geordie Barrett being such a young guy, um, to now being 
big in that All Blacks environment, leaders in that, and they've actually grown to love it. Uh, and you talk to athletes all the time, don't you? Like Sean Johnson earlier this morning, being the oldest guy in the team, loving it, actually wanting to impart your knowledge on the rest of the side to make them better so you can win more games of rugby. So, yep, they've got all the parts in place, but the thing about the Hurricanes and the thing about Super Rugby is all the other New Zealand teams have got exactly the same thing. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. good luck to them. Who do you, you favour? Uh, I mean, okay. I would like to think that they play trans-Tasman footy this year. We don't know what's going to happen, right? The Omicron variant is, is is the deciding factor we know, right? It's rampant across there, but will it burn itself out, so to speak, after that first eight weeks? But will we be in the middle of it? Who knows? Hate to think about it, have to talk about it. But when you look across the board, uh, who do you think is it? Are we going back to the same olds again? I think so, Stephen. Uh, Jason Holland's right. Like, you wait till April and see what happens. No one knows what's going to happen. Will there be a trans Tasman comp? Maybe, but the winner comes from New Zealand almost every single time. And I don't see it being any different this year, but I actually think the Blues are genuine threats. With Roger Tuivasa Sheik and Bowden Barrett back, Patrick Tuipalotu's gone to Japan. He's a big loss, but those two in that Blues back line. Uh, they've got a massive front row, great loose forwards. Dalton Papali's coming off a career best year. Akira Ioane's found himself again. I think it's Blues Crusaders for me. I, I, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned Roger Tuivasa-Shek because the one thing that I was noticing in his back end of his rugby league career, people were picking the step. And the way the game is done in rugby league, not a lot of sliding on D, right? She's pretty up and down. But the way rugby is played, that step could become the most lethal weapon in the Blues' back line. Agreed, and hopefully for the All Blacks, because it's so oh, hard to down. break. It's so settle hard to down. break down defences in international rugby these days. Uh, the All Blacks cannot cope with rush defences. You see it all the time. But someone with the footwork of RTS could change the game. Do for you the ABs. do you genuinely believe that RTS will make the ABs? Oh, I, I'm have no doubt whatsoever. It's paying a dollar one at the TAB. <laughs> I think it's there's a market. In fact, it's just closed because it's guaranteed to happen, oh, isn't it? Isn't oh, it, Stephen? I don't know. I don't know who. Okay, so the, the so the, the question back to you: Who does he bump out? Well, there's plenty of room in that midfield at the moment. No one's really stamped their mark on the twelve jersey while Jack Goodhue's been injured. So I'm looking at twelve, and I'm thinking RTS. Make your way from the wing at first. <laughs> Have a few games, Roger. We don't want you to be a world beater first. But by the time that World Cup comes around in 2023 next year, oh, wow. he's going to be he's going to be in that uh, 23. No all right, doubt. all right, you've said enough. I, I'm, I'm, I'll roll with you. It's 12:20. Just a quick text in here from Dino. Uh, obviously a, a Canes fan. We are that loyal. We travel to the Naki from the Naki to every Hurricanes home game, and that's what being a supporter is all about on SENZ. On SENZ, it's Kiwi for sport. 12.25 this Tuesday afternoon, lunchtime. If that is a lunchtime sort of time for you around Aotearoa, New Zealand, trust you are in good form. If you want to listen, you can listen on the NCNZ app in your car, you know, hook it up to the uh, Apple CarPlay, your Google Play, whatever you want to do, and away you go, or just listen on your local frequency. But the app is a good way to listen to anything and everything, including the Sean Johnson interview that we, we had this morning. It's on Mornings with Smithy, Smithy. Just go to the podcast and have a wee listen or on whatever podcast for platform that you use. Of course, you can catch the best of live racing. Just download the TAB app today. It's time for... Uh, Paul Mawate to offer his 55 cents worth um, because he's always worth more than 10 cents. Hey, Paul. (laughs) 
G'day, Stephen. I can't believe it. It's, uh, what is it, 50-odd days away from the start of the NRL season and you're slotting in a Stephen, uh, an interview with one of the Warriors' uh, greats. So uh, great to hear you talking about rugby league. <laughs> <laughs> I just I got the, I didn't realize you were such a fan of rugby league. I, I, this is this has been quite a revelation for me. It's a just it's I can't wait for for the start of the season. I'm doing all my study right now. I'm going to have my futures bets on before the season starts. Oh. And, uh, and oh, what is the what does the I, market look like for you now for uh premiership winner? Well, uh, the Warriors don't attract me to be fair. Okay. <laughs> premiership okay. winner book. Um, possibly a top eight finish for the Warriors. Uh, that may I may have a little stab at them there. They're currently four dollars to make the top eight. That's not a bad. Uh, that's a that's not a bad number actually. I think the key to them though is the start. Start your season well. Yeah, a hundred percent, man. And then if they can hang on, that you know that they'll have a, bit, a wee bit of a flat period at some stage during the season. So if they get those early wins on the board. Um, then they they should be able to navigate uh, the rest of the regular season so, so, and, and sneak into the top eight. So it, yeah, I don't mind the four dollars on them. Is it the usual suspects at the top of the pile? You know, Roosters, Storm, Penrith, Rabbitohs. It, it, that's exactly that's exactly who's at the top of the market. The Storm and the Panthers are equal favourites to win the grand final. They're both paying five dollars. The Sydney Roosters are at six dollars. Uh, the Sea Eagles at seven fifty, and the Rabbitohs, the uh, losing grand finalists, are at ten dollars. Oh, that uh, might that might be final. that might be worth a bit of money, mind you. No, Adam Reynolds takes a, quite a bit away from their direction. So how they handle those early parts of the season, but gee, that would be worth a little bit of a dart, wouldn't it? Yeah, I, I'm not adverse to a little bit of Rabbitohs stew. So yeah, <laughs> I'll uh, I'll have I'll have a little bit of that ten dollars on them to. Uh, go one step further than they did uh, last season, and of course, I know you're an NFL fan. Yeah. And boy, what a crazy day it was oh, yesterday! Nuts. We we had to wait until uh, the end of overtime in the final game of the regular season to find out all of the teams that were going to make the playoffs. And with the uh, Las Vegas Raiders beating the LA Chargers in overtime in that final game of the regular season, that uh, meant they went through. And they dragged the Pittsburgh Steelers through them uh, with them as well. We've got all of the playoff uh, matchups uh, open at the moment. The I guess the most favoured team uh, in those matchups at the moment is the Kansas City Chiefs to beat the Pittsburgh Steelers. The Chiefs are a dollar thirteen. Wow. The Steelers at five dollars and forty cents. Um, the Dallas Cowboys. What are they doing at the moment? My, my, my cows. How do they look? Yeah, yeah, your boys. It's it's like one of those old school matchups from the late eighties or the early nineties. They're up against the San Francisco Forty Nine ers, Cowboys, a dollar fifty eight favourites. The Forty Nine ers, two dollars and twenty eight. Forty Nine ers, they also had to go through OT to get through to the a postseason. So um, that's, interesting. that's interesting. That's interesting. That one. Bad. Yeah, well, what worries me, having watched the Cows all season, is offensively they're great, but uh, defensively sometimes they, they, they allow quite a lot of yardage. And the way Jimmy Garofalo plays with all a short passing game, uh, they could be a real threat to the Cows. The, the 49ers were down 17-0 against the Rams late in the second quarter uh, yesterday and managed to force the game into overtime and then 
they get the win in OT. So I don't mind the 49ers getting three points, plus three points at $1.87. I I don't see too much between these two teams. I think there'll be a field goal. Uh, late in the game that wins it, and so I'm happy to take the 49ers plus oh, three. Oh, well, b- b- by all means, shove that in my face. By all <laughs> means, say, take your four. I thought you were a big Packers fan. I am a Packers fan, but they're not playing uh, this oh, weekend. So, so you, deliberately, in the <laughs> you deliberately go the 49ers against my cover. I've had enough of you today, uh, but it's, it is exciting. You are right about one thing, Paul. The NFL, I think, has, has produced a cracking playoffs matchup in the first weekend. Yeah, some fantastic match, and I think that's the pick of the bunch. To be fair, the Cowboys up against the Forty ers No, you off. don't. You're just winding me up. <laughs> Thanks, Paul. I appreciate your time as always. But have a crack, have a cracking day. Catch uh, you can watch and bet live on your favourite sports and racing at tab.co.nz. Uh, it's R18, and please, as always, gamble responsibly. It is half past twelve. Listening to SENZ Summer Days with Stephen McIver here till two o'clock this afternoon. It is twelve thirty-four. Summer days means summer and surf and sand. And surfers high on the priority list of a lot of surfers at the moment because the New Zealand Championships, which is the longest running surfing event in New Zealand dating back to nineteen sixty-three is actually on right now on the West Coast. It's unbelievable when you think about the amount of surfing that goes on. Like they've got 32 divisions for both males and females, right? It goes from under 14s to over 60s. Stand-up paddleboard, longboard, bodyboard, kneeboard, adaptive disciplines. And for only the second time, they're on the Westport, on the West Coast, which is probably quite a favoured sort of part of the world for our next guest which is Paige Harab who was born in Taranaki so Paige I just wonder are the conditions similar for you? Yes um, I guess it is all, all the west coast um, so it can get pretty big and wild um, wherever you are on the west coast so it's been pretty nice here the last couple of days. What sort of waves are you getting? Um, it's, at the moment it's only about two to three foot but um, nice and clean and, uh, yeah, nice conditions. Uh, you've been doing thing, something you haven't done for a long time. You've been uh, hooking around the South Island. What's that been like? <laughs> yeah, it's been awesome. I haven't really um, – I've never travelled to South Island in the summer before, and, yeah, it's been amazing. And, um, we really do live in one of the best countries in the world. Would it be a stupid question to say you've had your board and you've been discovering some spots – <laughs> no, not at all. Um, I've actually been inland a little bit. Um, I've surfed a couple of new spots, but yeah, I've been getting into some hiking and biking. Okay, so when you talk about the spots that you've discovered to surf, uh, what are the gems or are you not going to give it away? <laughs> um, I surfed in Hukatika and um, I stopped randomly near Leithfield on the East Coast. Oh, what was it like on the East Coast wave-wise? Yeah, it was smaller, but um, yeah, it was pretty fun. How are you feeling about your chances to try and win the women's title this year? Um, Oh, I guess, you know, anyone can win, so it it all depends on the day, but um, yeah, I I still feel like I've 
I've got everything um, to to give myself a good chance to win. Um, but yeah, I know a few of those young girls are definitely nipping at my heels, and uh, yeah, they'll still make it tough for me. How how much has the standard improved in surfing in New Zealand from what you see overseas? Um, oh, I think uh, New Zealand's still got a little way to go compared to some of the girls overseas, but. Um, yeah, they've improved a lot over the last couple of years and it's awesome to see. And um, the likes of Steffi Getty, who actually won the Nationals last year, she's um, going to be competing overseas this year, so should be good to see. But when we talk about uh, how women surfers improve, what what in their discipline needs to improve in New Zealand? Um, I think it's... Uh, more just like their power and aggression um, I guess yeah what what they would say in surfing is surf more like a guy that's almost a mm-hmm. compliment <laughs> um, and yeah I think I think that's it they just need to get more more aggressive and uh, stronger is that what you you t- take into the comp this year that 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 aggression you think that's that's the edge yeah, definitely. Um, us Kiwis were too nice a lot of the time. So, <laughs> is is it a hard thing to to learn to be aggressive? Because if you, if it's not a natural thing, yeah, for sure. And you know, where I'm in Padmaki, I grew up with. A lot of the time, I still have surfs by myself. I have no one hassling me at all, and I can pick any wave I want. Whereas, as they have young girl growing up on the Gold Coast in Australia, she's surfing with 200 people every day and has to <laughs> fight for every single wave. So it definitely makes a difference. Well, after this, you've got the World Surf League Regional Qualifying Series. Here we go again. How tough is it to turn up every year to try and qualify? Oh, it's so tough. And every year gets harder and harder and more and more girls and they're getting better and better. So... Um, yeah, I want to try and make the most of it. I've been home in New Zealand for the last two years and, yeah, I've kind of just decided I'm going to go no matter what. Um, I've already had one flight cancelled this year, but, um, yeah, still hoping to get to Australia next month. How does the regional qualifying series work for those that don't understand it? Uh, so it's just Australasia, so basically only only Australia, really, and then Daffy and I are the Kiwis, Um, and we do several competitions in Australia and have to finish in the top six or seven girls out of probably around 100 girls doing it, and uh, yeah, if we finish in the top seven, then we move on to the Challenger Series, which is done all around the world against um, all the other regions. How tough is the Challenger Series? Oh, it's, yeah, I mean, it's against the, the best girls from every region around the world, so it's super tough, and then same again, you can only finish in the top six to make the world tour, which is only the um, top 17 women in the world. How much motivation do you have after having just missed out on Tokyo? Uh, I've got quite a bit, actually, um, especially mainly being in New Zealand the last couple of years and not really competing. Um, it's been a nice break, but it's also made me realise how much I did love it and, and want to keep going for as long as I can.
I wonder, Paige, whether that break is actually a bonus to, to I suppose in a funny way, just refresh the body. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, I've, I've been doing it for over 12 years and there's definitely been a lot of ups and downs and you go through almost years of not enjoying it as, as much. Um, so, yeah, I'm ready to get back on. It's good to say you enjoy it, but what drives you to wake up in the morning and say, right, here we go, catch some waves, try and improve myself, find something that's find that edge? Oh, I think I'm just competitive. Yeah. <laughs> I was born competitive and um, I don't think I'll ever lose that. But then surfing is a sport, um, you know, I've done a lot of sport growing up, but it was the one sport where I never really got bored of it because it is always so different and every single wave's different. So, yeah, I think just that that new kind of feeling every time. I spoke to Billy Stammond before Christmas and I said to him, a friend of mine once said that when you're out there on the waves alone by yourself, it's quite a, you have quite a spiritual connection to the, to the water and the world. Is it the same for you? Yeah, a little bit. Um, I think, yeah, I guess you are out, out in nature and um, yeah, you definitely have those moments where you're out there by yourself and you, you feel pretty tiny, but it's a good feeling as well. <laughs> what would it find, mean to finally win a nationals, an open nationals? Uh, a relief, probably. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I've kind of just yeah made it as one of my goals for such a long time, even though I haven't really been in the nationals that many years because I've been overseas competing. But um, yeah, it's just one of those little little notches, and I want to put in my belt and um, yeah, tick it off. That is Paige Harib. Thanks for your time, buddy. And of course, she is uh, out today. The, I looked at the schedule. It wasn't. It was suggested that the the women were going to start tomorrow, but uh, she was out this morning at twelve forty-two here on SNZ. My apologies, Teddy Jimmy Garoppolo. I said Garoppolo. It's Jimmy Garoppolo. No, it's fine. I'm cool. I'm happy to be corrected if that's I'm doing the wrong thing. So Teddy, yeah, Jimmy G. By the way, you're not getting close to my cows, okay? If you if you're correcting me, then you must be a 49ers fan. Forget it, pal. Although they can't, I cannot believe Paul Mawati came back at me and had a crack at that one. Unbelievable. But when you look at them, when you look at the matchups, and I think we've got a little bit of time to take a quick look at the NFL playoffs. And seriously, there are some very cool matchups, like the Bengals against the Raiders. We know the story with the Raiders that that's that's all done and dusty because of of course the Tennessee Titans and the Pack have being the number one seeds in their conferences. They get the weekend off. The really cool game for me is the Bills Patriots. You know, Mac Jones against Josh Allen. That is a monster game. A monster game. And then you've got the Bucks against the Eagles. Well, the Buccaneers under Tom Brady, you'd always say, fantastic. But have the, have we seen the best of the Eagles yet? Cowboys 49ers. <clears throat> As he said, the Steelers, he, he's picking the Steelers. The Chiefs are red hot at the TAB. He's picking the Steelers to do the job there. But I think the game to, to keep an eye on next Tuesday, I honestly think the Rams-Cardinals won. I wouldn't mind betting... Or, or even thinking <laughs> out loud, I wouldn't mind thinking that the Cardinals can upset the Rams. Now, that doesn't make a lot of sense, but when you think they were run, they'd run four, lost four in a row, come up against the Cowboys, beat the Cowboys. You know they know how to win. It, it just depends on how Kyler Murray, their quarterback. But I just think Matt Stafford and the Rams, they are, they are something special. 
They are something special. So there is a lot to look forward to in the first weekend of playoffs when it comes to the NFL, who had 18 weeks this season. Of course, Miami have just sacked their coach, as have Cincinnati. Matt Nagy's gone as well, along with the GM. So the, the sackings go, and they go, and they go, and they go. 12.44, uh, we'll do Jack Link's Makes You Think coming next here on SENZ. Jack Links makes you think. Irresistible flavour to satisfy your hunger. Yes, it is time for Jack Links makes you think, thanks to the all-new maple and brown sugar ham jerky. Today, I'm thinking long and hard about Sean Johnson and his return to the Vodafone Warriors. After his interview with us this morning at 10.30, I've openly changed my opinion on what he's going to offer the team in his second stint at the club this year of 2022. He told us he's finally figured out what sort of player he is and that his identity as a player is finally in focus. He admitted to us that his first, in his first 162 games with the Warriors, he was, quote, caught in the middle as a player. Was he the playmaker? Or was he the go-to guy to do the unimaginable, throw that monstrous step and produce moments of brilliance? Now, after his time at Cronulla, he understands who he is as a player. And now as the oldest player at 31, going on 32, he's going to be more the provider, the guiding hand. And he feels he's settled on who he is and what his role is going to be. His attitude in the interview gave me, as a commentator, a fresh perspective on an individual who has been constantly maligned by people like me and a team that has not always had the right balance and too many changes in the head coaching role. Expectation has always been an issue with the Warriors and their fans and I sometimes think that's pervaded the team environment. But if you listen to Sean this morning, life and the preseason are strong and clear But the question remains, as it always does with this team, does the playmaker have the right people around him? Not a lot has changed over the years in the great game of rugby league. You must have a strong pack to lay the platform. And the Warriors were the likes of new skipper Tohu Harris, Adam Fanua Blake, new signing from Melbourne Aaron Penne, Bunty Afoa, Matt Lodge, Jazz Tavanga, and a swathe of young running forwards, I'm beginning to feel you can have confidence as to where the Warriors might end up in 2022. How far is up to them? But in modern footy, you need a strong number nine. And so I'm going to put a respectful question mark over Wade Egan. But then we could throw this back into the mix. If your pack goes forward, then a good nine, and I mean a good nine, will always do the job. And Wade Egan is a good nine. But the other key is who partners Sean Johnson in the halves. Is it Ash Taylor? Is it Cody Nicarima? Or is it the youngster who's now starting to show a strong defence, but question marks over his attack? And that's Chanel Harris-Tavita, with talk already that they think he might be a better number nine. It's a question you hope that the Warriors have answered. But after listening to Sean Johnson, 
who's played 162 games for the club he never really wanted to leave, I get the feeling, as a fan, that we might be in for some surprises this season. And those surprises might be nice ones. And that was Jack Link's Makes You Think, thanks to the all-new ham jerky with hickory smoke and a dash of maple and brown sugar. Yes, they've gone the whole hog. It's 12.54. SENZ, it's Kiwi for sport. It's 12.59. John McNeil has the 1 o'clock news at Sport and Weather at 1 o'clock. Just a little bit of an update from the second test in Christchurch between the Black Caps and Bangladesh. It's day three. We are heading towards lunch in the first session. Now, as you will remember, that the Black Caps uh, forced the follow-on after putting up 521 in their first innings, and they rolled Bangladesh for 126. Well, as we head towards lunch, Bangladesh currently 74 for two. The last batsman out, uh, Najmul Hussain Shanto, caught Bolt, bold Wagner for 29. So currently they are 74 for two. And that means they trail by 321 runs. Not going to make any predictions today. If I get to John Day and he'll make some sweeping prediction that'll be over by the end of the second session and you know that's not going to happen because they have shown that they have got some fight and this is just to basically level the series. So we'll leave that one at that. 74 for two in their second innings, uh, 321 runs behind Bangladesh on day three of the second test. Coming your way after one o'clock, John and I are going to go through our four favourite team captains of all time, well, it's it's a hard one to think about, but we've come up with four each. Our four favourite captains, if you've got one, why don't you text us or call us, 0800 or text us on double eight double three. This is SENZ Summer Days. Summer Days on SENZ. It's Kiwi for Sport. You know what that means? It's 104 on SENZ Summer Days and it's time for Mount Rushmore. John and I come up with some wacky and crazy idea to find out the best ofs of all sorts of things. What was it last? What, what did we do last week? I can't remember last week <laughs> at all. That's, yeah, that's probably because you had that rather boozy 40th it was in Lake Carapetto. It's 40th season and every like I've like and, and was karaoke king with Whitney Houston. Yeah, I, I want to dance, dance with somebody. somebody. Um, yeah, like 21st you think's massive and then you go to 30ths and you're like whoa they're big and then you go to 40ths and holy moly they are even next See, level so, okay so i've i've had a 50th I, I i didn't do 50 i hate i hate birthdays hate birthdays i hate well i hate my birthdays because it means i'm getting older no you know i'm on the wrong side of 50 you, you don't know? like being a silver fox Stephen? oh yeah, not really. oh, i don't know i think it, the, there comes a point in time when you have to accept your age not there yet right Right. Okay. Okay. Let's well, leave it at that. Let's go for our top, top four captains today. Yeah, this is this was a tough one. Yes. Uh, because my thinking when it came to team captains, right, was my time. Who had affected me or who had stood out to me as a captain? So for me, it was about 
a pers- personal. It was personal. Yeah. What about you? And with, yeah, same thing because um, I was thinking globally, and then I couldn't really think of anyone globally because the people I respect around the world are a lot of individual sports, like Formula One drivers, like golfers, um, mm. yeah, even then, basketball like, teams. Yeah, kind of well, in they, the yeah. NBA and stuff. You're like, who's the actual captain? Yeah, and they have about 25 captains in the NFL. You know, or three or four yeah. team captains. So uh, I'm looking internally a lot of the time. Completely. So a lot of my favourite captains are New Zealanders, and number four on my Mount Rushmore mm-hmm. of captains. I guess some people would call him a skipper, but a skipper and a captain are probably the same thing. And this is him after his glorious moment in 1995 winning the America's Cup. The absence of the Commodore, uh, what challenges Royal New Zealand has received up till now? No, I, I can't at the moment. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm um, not really fit to tell you anything right now. <laughs> which, I hope, which I hope is understandable. You know? Very understandable. <laughs> Sir Peter Blake, he'd had a couple of bubbles after winning the America's yeah. Cup 5 0. Um, yeah, yeah that in 1995. That's that that an interesting call, actually, when you think about captains, skippers, leaders. Just such a leader. Um, all that whip bred around the world, and then the America's Cup, and then just the kind of um, humanitarian, well, not humanitarian, and but going round on the water on the... the that, that all aluminium uh, boat through the Amazon where he sadly yeah. sadly lost his lost life. Lost his life. And, to, tw- and, 20 years ago, just uh, December gone. So just gone 20 years since Sir Pe- Peter Blake was murdered on the Amazon. So. I, think, I, think if, I think if he, if he was looking down, he'd look at what the America's Cup has become and how... Emirates team New Zealand have uh, been an, an enormous part of here. I feel like the, the legacy that he left was certainly a strong with one. With those red socks. The red, Who could forget you, the do, red do socks? Do you know, even with the last cup, the red socks came out, people were still bringing out the old red socks. There, yeah. was, there are a lot of, shall we say, people of that generation still wanting to think that the red socks are, are like a talisman yes. going forward with exactly. the America's Cup. With those ticker tape parades, and he was the guy. He was the star. He mm. was the hero. He was the leader of that team. So for me, goes down as one of my top four captains of all time. <clears throat> so you'll be surprised that I have two rugby players in my, in what? my, I said I have two rugby players. I thought I heard that. Yeah, I know, right, I know, okay. I know. You, I know you're staggered, but for me, and it was a hard one. But when I when I looked the name, I went. Yeah. So so for me, when looking at my captains, <clears throat> humble, lead by example, not necessarily flashy. So those were you know you yep. took around my key points, and for me. And this guy also likes New Zealand because I think he's got a, still got a place in Papamoa. Uh, Martin Johnson. Martin Johnson and England staying composed here. Wilson still in place for the drop goal. Australia come back. Here it is for Johnny. Has he done? He sure has. And England has joined Sir Ralph Ramsey's Immortals of 1966. It wasn't over till he'd blown the whistle and then you realise, and you know, you take a pause and go, OK, he's blown the whistle, is that it? Because you're denying yourself, the f- you're not even thinking about winning the World Cup. Don't think about winning the World Cup. That's nice, isn't it? I have to say, I know that it's obvious that we've won the World Cup, but at that moment it wasn't obvious straight away. You just think we've won the game. Yeah, yeah, and, and we've just relieved. And, and there's, there's that's... George, a nice bloke, shake his hand and... You know, that's what you do at the end of a game, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And not, and not, I always wanted to not be too, you know, in people's faces when you've won. 
not be going chief we've won no well it's you know it's, that's the game is the game is about respect and you know there's only ever two emotions there's agony or ecstasy and so that was Martin Johnson and Lawrence Delalio talking about their win with Johnny Wilkins and Mr. Drop Goal helped them to win the 2003 World Cup against Australia. And I think in that one moment where he talked about it's all about not going off and like, like a... Rubbing crack, in another people's rub, faces. But, but going up and having a handshake. Yeah. Just, just shaking someone's hand saying, thanks, mate, great game. For me, epitomises what captains should be about. I, I, I must say... That I was I was wavering somewhat in that area. Yep. To put Simon Mannering in that same category, right? Yep. But Simon, sadly for him, didn't win any win anything. If you know yeah, what I mean. I do know what you mean. And man, it was sad because even a non Warriors fan, I wanted Simon Mannering to take a contract somewhere else. Well, he was offered to win a premiership. He, he, he was hunted by the Broncos before he signed that. I think his final last yeah. one. And the Broncos were desperate. To have him, but he was he was again no fuss, hated doing media, but constantly led by example. He was he was a machine, yeah, who didn't want the plaudits. No, d- doesn't like doing media at all. Um, oh God, hates was, it, mate, doesn't he? Was te- he? he was terrible. But Martin Johnson, that's a that's a good selection. Okay, thank I endorse you. that. Oh, why why thank you? Because it's rugby. That's right. Exactly. You, you still needed staggered. some information. You still staggered. Okay. I am. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, number three for me. This guy just. Some like uh, you want a captain that you will go to war with, that you like. If they tell you to do something, you do it because you believe in them that much. Um, I just uh, I found this guy staggering. Just every time you thought his career was over or he wasn't good enough, he just gave you more and more. And this is just him talking about what it meant to play in front of crowds that didn't like him and did like him. To play in front of a crowd really gets the juices flowing. Um, anytime you get into a hostile crowd. That's what I like, you know, and that's what you live for as a as a competitor. Um, same as when you come home and you know that everybody's behind you, you know, and it's packed, everybody's yelling, everybody's cheering every time your team scores or, you know, does a good play defensively, you know. That's something that gets adrenaline rushing, and um, that's something as a player you love to have. And I'm just playing my little Casio keyboard in behind that as well. I'm Mick of Vicona. <laughs> Mick of Vicona, what a man. Uh, through the glory years of the breakers, Sensational, and even through the bad times, sensational. And for the Tall Blacks, just picked himself up over and over again, dogged by knee injuries, so so much tape, bandages, but it didn't matter. Mika Vakona told his coach, I am going into that game and I am playing. I think there was one game for the Breakers where they said, don't, this could be career over for you if you play this game. And he said, I'm playing this game. It's a playoff game. I'm in there. And he's... Just a, just an amazing New Zealander, I think, and definitely deserves to be on the Mount Rushmore for captains. Well, it's snap as far as you snap. and I go. It's snap. You got Micker as well. He was my number three as well, having interviewed on numerous occasions when uh, doing the, the Breakers show. And again, I think the one word that epitomised Mika Vakona, not the fact that he was a, an enormously talented leader, naturally. He wasn't the sort of leader that had to work at it from where I saw. He was a natural born leader. Yeah. He was always respectful. Always respectful. Yeah. He would never say, oh God, do I have to do this interview? You know, I've got so much. No. He would say, yep, when do you want to do it? Okay, we do it now. Right, that's fine. But the one word that epitomizes Mika Vakona is selfless. Yep. 
2AT. So I'm happy to share Mika Vakona as our number three on Mount Rushmore. Absolutely. Right up there. What a dude. Mm. Um, a, de- my, yeah, a dude. Yeah, yeah, a dude. A great dude. Um, uh, this next person isn't a dude. It's a woman. <laughs> Uh, and just has been an incredible leader, a great modern leader, um, a real poster woman for women's sports. And I just think we got to know her and got to love her a lot last year. There's so much going on. Like, oh, I'm just uh, so happy. I love you, Mum. I love you so much. How almost for you? And I am just so grateful to be a part of the best team in the world. Um, man, our team has been for a lot in five years, and we're bringing home a gold medal for New Zealand, and I could not be more proud. Sarah Harani, captain of the Black Fern Sevens, um, just amazing, and she will never say it. But all her teammates do, don't they, Stephen? And the oh, coaches, God, yes. every time you talk to them, they just go, wow, this woman is something else. And you've got to take their word for it. We could talk about the Blackfern Sevens for half an hour comfortably. Yeah. And having, again, I've said this before, having been, you know, had the the, the blessing of being on, on air and hosting when they won that Sevens and having uh, two world champions with me, and uh, understanding more than anything that in the Blackfern Sevens environment, when we talk culture, they mean culture. And it's, it's this, this accountability to look after each other, but also be accountable for your own decisions and performances individually. And when what do they call a gossy? They call a gossy because yeah, she was Sarah, Sarah Goss, Goss, right? And... Going through was she losing her mother, you know, that yeah. year, and yeah. then going on and leading a team, and which was a, a a tough environment. I don't think any of us understood, not being in Tokyo, how tough it was to run an Olympics because we all thought it was going to be canned, and then they had to go and deal with it. Yeah, but then also to have to lead a team that was under pressure to reverse what happened in Rio, that silver medal. They they were burning. Yep. absolutely burning with desire to win that gold. And to lead a team like that, have your own personal adversity to deal with, yet still be a shining light for those other women, can't, yep. I can't disagree with you. To be unbackable favourites as well. Uh, like Everyone was just expecting them to win. And there were stutters along the way mm. uh, during that campaign. Was it Great Britain? Did they stumble against yeah. Great Britain? Yeah, it was just like, oh. Was that the Ruby Tui moment when we, she said there's not, not enough, enough hand sanitizer hand to clean in up Tokyo that. to clean up that, that performance? Exactly. <laughs> and so, yeah, just so so many stories in that team. And just Sarah Hidden epitomised just how brilliant they were and brought that uh, team together and brought a nation together during the Olympics. So that's why I've got her up there Fair uh, in my top four she's your number two. She's your number two. Just before we go, I'd go to my number two. Uh, Chris has texted in and said, John Mitchell for Waikato, 1990 to 94, won the NPC in 92, took the shield off Auckland in 1993. Yeah, not bad. John Mitchell's John. a guy who gets lambasted yeah. for the World Cup in 2003 and not picking Christian <laughs> Cullen. But as a captain, he, he was, I agree. He was he was solid. Now, my, so again, shock horror probe, my number two is uh, all-time team captains. Don't really know the bloke. Interviewed him once at a Halleberg Awards. 
did a, a function for him two years ago at a Mercedes dealership because he and his wife are sponsored by Mercedes. Lucky bugger. <laughs> uh, but then someone said to me, look, I know you don't watch a lot of footy, but watch this guy. Watch him for a season and watch what he does. Watch how he leads. And then when he turned down a knighthood, that's when I said, yes, this man has to be in the top four. Mitchie, you said the first time that you became an All Black, you didn't want it to end. After 148 tests and two Rugby World Cups, do you now call it a day? I still don't want it to end, to be honest. Um, look at the moment, I'm still part of this team. I'm going to enjoy today and, you know, how could you get enough of this? So, uh, we'll worry about that after today. I just want to enjoy uh, playing or having played a wonderful World Cup final here with a great bunch of men and uh, I'm just so proud of being able to wear this jersey again today and uh, I don't think you ever have enough of it and uh, if you get moments like this, why would you ever uh, call it a day? Well that's a snap for me Stephen because of course he's my number one uh, okay. and, and not a born leader like Mika Vakona. I think he was made into a leader because he was the best player in the All Blacks and I think at the age of 24, 25 he became captain of the All Blacks, which is a big deal for a young guy, and then stayed there for eight seasons. Uh, got through the 2007, which made him the captain that he became in 2011 and 2015. Played with a broken foot through 2011, and was just outstanding in 2015, and didn't want to make that moment about himself. Oh yeah, I'm retiring. Here I am, after a World Cup final. Perfect time to retire. Nah, that's not Richie McCaw's style. All about him and the all about the boys, all about the team. And, you know, I've, I've used this analogy over and over again. But again, Tom Brady has always said, you know, no one is above the team. That, you know, the team is everything. And and when they decided to offer him a, a knighthood for winning the World Cup, the fact that he turned it down, I thought, was the right time and a long time for, you know, certain sports people feel that they it's an honour and a privilege, and that's great. But you just knew that team ethos was still running through Richie McCaw's head that it's not about me because I have been involved in a team game. Yep. So why should I, you know, have this wonderful honour bestowed on me uh, when I was just a member of the team? Sure, I was the leader. But again, you know, and and the embodiment of that I think is really important, and yep. and it was a t- it was a time too, really, wasn't it? When when the the ethos and that that all black camp was incredibly strong. Oh, absolutely, and not even letting your teammates wear coloured boots like that's how old school he was. <laughs> He's just like black boots only, fellas. We don't stand out. We're all the same here, you know. Like it's not about being showy. It was like Brady and and you know, the man in the arena. We run out as a team because a lot of teams, the majority of teams, individually announce their starters. Yeah, he said no, 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 none we, of that. When if I'm leading this team, this is how we roll. So he so, was your yep, he's my number he's two. He's my number one. So my top four. Peter Blake, Sarah Hidini, Mika Vakona, and Richie McCaw. You have got Martin Johnson, Mika Vakona, Richie McCaw, and... Play, the, play the audio. All right. Came back. I had my knee injury. My first training session, it was raining. It was freezing cold. I'm like a schoolboy, you know, first day at school in my new gear. And there's a couple of Māori boys on the hill going, Steve Price. Oh, hey, boys. You're yeah, a Bulldogs captain, eh? And I go, yeah, yeah, Bulldogs captain. Oh, you just won the comp, eh? And I said, yeah, yeah, won the comp. Oh, you just play with that Sonny Bill Williams, eh? I said, yeah, yeah, play with Sonny Bill. He's an amazing player. 
oh, are you someone with the Warriors? And I said, yeah, yeah, someone with the Warriors. That's sort of why I'm here in a Warriors shirt. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I wish they had someone Sonny Bill Williams instead of you. <laughs> <laughs> How good's that? <laughs> that is brilliant. So... <laughs> having been having been in rugby league for twenty odd years, twenty five ish odd years, and, and had been with the following the Warriors from the get go, for me they'd never had a skipper that inspired not just the team but inspired the fans. And Steve Price was the he was almost the perfect captain. He would do interviews at the drop of a hat. Some would criticise him for that, but. He knew that part of the deal of being a captain was a performance, and we always knew he'd post great numbers. That's because he always took the first hit up, but he was also very strong. He would he would play regular season footy consistently. He was obviously the first man picked. Then he would go and play Origin, come back if he was okay, and he'd beat people up in Origin too, right? Yeah. Then he would come back and play for the Warriors. And for me the most discerning moment of his captaincy of how Warriors fans fell in love with him was that great night that we've already talked about earlier on today, that Friday night footy, Warriors-Roosters semi-final. And he comes, and they, they were still running out of the tunnel then, and he walks out of the tunnel. And as soon as people spot him, he's going to do the coin toss, there is a standing ovation yeah. as he walks around the ground to do the coin toss. Yes, there was a lot of emotion charged because they're in the finals, but it wasn't about that. Yeah. It was about that their leader had helped get them to this point. Yeah. So for me, he has, to this point in their history, always been the most charismatic and strongest leader when it comes to being the total package. Absolutely. So he, he is my number one, Martin Johnson, Mika Vakona, Richie McCaw, and Steve Price. And Steve Price. Yeah. Is, <laughs> what, did, what did Brian say? No, it's not Darren Lockyer. <laughs> <laughs> I, like, I like our top four, Stephen. I think we've done well. Well, we can pat ourselves on the back. There might be many others that people think are a little bit different, but I think both of us being in the media game and being – allowed to talk to these people, you get an indication pretty quickly who's hot and who's not and whether people are actually built to be leaders. See, Simon Mannering wasn't necessarily built to be a leader. He hated, as we say, he wasn't the total package. Yeah. But if you played with him, you knew that it was like that old that old cliche, you know, I'd rather have him in the trenches beside me than anyone else because, you know, he would, he'd, he'd put himself in front of you. So that is our Mount Rushmore on this Tuesday here on SCNZ Summer Days. It's one twenty-four for John to give us his latest news and sport update. But before that, a quick what happens next? Of course, we've been doing this every day, Stephen, giving away $50 uh, thanks to the TAB. If you can guess what happens next, here is part one. Well, Glenn might as well start walking because he's not going to stay there. They send him off separately. You think he might as well get on his bike? He might as well get down. 
Oh, okay. So I, I've got an idea. Was that coming through loud and clear for you? Yeah, I, th- I think it's probably one of the the. It's, it's an origin match, and there is a send off, and I think I know. I think I know. Hold, you think you know? I think if you know, double eight double three. What happens next? Double eight double three. We'll play it again after this news up. One thirty-two on SENZ Summer Days across New Zealand and Australia here with Stephen McIver, 0800 150 811. When you think about tennis back in the mid-80s, mid-90s with New Zealand, and you think about the Davis Cup, which sadly has taken a bit of a backseat in world tennis, and they've, they've mucked with it a lot a bit. A bit. There, was one, there was one figure that always stood out for New Zealand. Headband, long hair, and an attitude of never, ever say die. And if I'm down, I will prove to you that I am not out. And that man has now been named as New Zealand's new Davis Cup captain. That is Kelly Evenden, who joins us right now. Hello, Kelly. Hey, Stephen. How are you? I'm good, mate. Uh, so let's be really blunt here. At 60, do you still sport the long hair? Uh, no. I've given up the long hair. It's too much grey in my face. <laughs> well, congratulations on your new role. Is it something that you wanted or were you, you asked? Well, I, you know, I, I think you always want to kind try and do something to help. And, you know, I've had raised my family in, in America and my kids are old enough to take care of themselves now. And I kind of like, you know, if I've got something to give, I've got to give it soon because I'm, you know, not getting any younger. Um, you know, and the opportunity kind of arose and had some conversations with the Intense New Zealand and, you know, high-performance coach back there, Christoph, and, and, and it kind of seems to be um, kind of a good time and a good fit for me right now. You see, the, the role of the Davis Cup captain is not really well understood by those who mm-hmm. don't follow tennis. So how do you see the role? Well, you know, my role is to, is to kind of, you know, motivate, and, and, you know, involve all of the kids that are on the team and get them to kind of put their best foot forward and, and try and do something that's really difficult, right? You know, at, at the moment, we're probably undergunned um, versus the teams that we're playing, but it doesn't mean we can't win. You know, and I think as the captain, I think all the coaching is being done by the coaches back there trying to get the kids to play as well as they can. And, and my job is to kind of put them together as a team and get them to, you know, kind of punch above their weight. Um you know, and that's that's kind of what I've always looked at at Davis. You know, we were always the underdog in Davis Cup, and, and you know, we, we had some great victories. We, we had losses in places that we should have had losses. But the fact that, you know, you go out there and put the best team out there with the best team atmosphere and with the best, you know, kind of well, these kids really want to fight for New Zealand, you know, good things happen. Do you think that is something that you are working against, whereas the the – tennis schedule, the world calendar, and the messing around with the Davis Cup is making it harder to get the best to play? I, I think that there's so many, you know, other events that they put on, you know, the, the, the Cup that Federer and started, and, you know, there's a lot of events. And I think, you know, Davis Cup, longest-running team competition in the world, and, and, and I think it, it still holds that really special place in, in all of those you know, top-tier players' minds, but there's also other people in from places, you know, that they can 
they have a team of eight or nine guys that can go out there and win the matches, and then they only have to show up in the finals. We don't have that luxury. We know we need to have you know our best people show up every single time we play, or else we you know we don't really have a, a fighting chance. So, you know, it, it, it's tough to say that it's it's losing importance because to me it was the most important thing you know for me to do when I played. You know, was play for New Zealand. Um, you know, so I, I'd like to kind of not say it's being diminished by all of these other events, but I think in in, in some way it, it, it kind of has been overtaken by a lot of you know ancillary kind of events that people put on for their own benefit. Kelly, what do you think is the formula to produce ATP, WTA-capable players from New Zealand? Is it the American college system? I'm not sure it is. It used to be. Um, you know, there's a bit, a lot of uh, chatter about, you know, well, you've got to go to college, got to go to the U.S., got to get in a team. You know, the, the problem is the coaching, right? You can't have 500 kids over here and say that there's 500 good coaches you know there's probably 10 or 12 really good coaches in college tennis and if you're not at one of those schools you're not going to get the benefit of having that 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 great input and that great you know insights to what tennis is really like um you know there's a lot of you know secondary tier coaches at a lot of schools that people are going to and and unfortunately you know people don't look at they look at if you get into a college in the united states you, you know you have a chance to be great that's not true i mean you know the, the formative years between the ages of, you know, 18, 17, 18 to 22 are so critically important um, that you have to have good instruction during that time because that's when you're honing your moves. That, you know, you, you're, you're, your forehand and your backhand and your volume and your serve are pretty much done at 18, and now you're trying to figure out how to actually make it all work in a, you know, a cohesive pattern to go out and win matches. And, and that's the thing that, you know, not a lot of college coaches are really teaching their kids to play. They're just trying to get, well, he's better than him. We'll put him in three, and we'll put that guy at five, and, you know, maybe we'll win a match. And, and they're not taking them and looking at them going, you know, we need to restructure this. We need to redo that. We need to put you in a place that you can play and, and make them feel comfortable. So, you know, there's a lot of bad coaching going on in college tennis. There is some great coaches in there, and if you get to those schools, I think that, you know, it's fantastic. But they're, they're they're not a lot of them. So what's the what's the what's the best way? What is the simple simplistic answer for talented tennis players in this country? What what route do they take? I think I think unfortunately, you know, they have to leave the country. I mean, they have to get out of the country. They have to go and travel and play in tournaments, you know, globally. And I and I think that you know, based on the way the Europeans are dominating tennis at this time. I think you have to go to Europe. You have to go and play on clay. You've got to get out there and, and go head-to-head with these, you know, young kids that are, you know, a dime a dozen, it seems, all over, you know, these countries and, and, and really kind of pit yourself against them from an early stage so that you can see what you have to be able to attain to get there. And, you know, I remember when I first came to America, I thought, well, yeah, I'm pretty good. I showed up and, you know, there's guys out there doing 300 push-ups and running 10 <laughs> miles before practice. And I'm going, wow, okay, so there's another level. You know, and, and it's it's not a level until you actually see it for yourself. And, and, you know, I know these guys are traveling and I know they're playing, but, you know, there has to be a concerted plan for them to go out of there and, and play a, a lot of events. I mean, it takes a lot of losing for you to become a good winner. I think what people fail to realize in tennis, particularly at the lower levels when you're going through ITF tournaments, you're going through challenger tournaments, it's a grind. Oh, yeah. Horrible grind. I mean, you know, you'd stay in cheap hotels and driving, you know, 10 people in a car and, you know, sometimes, I mean, I remember staying in a hotel in 
Wilmington, North Carolina. I slept in in a room with eight people. Threw the matches off the bed. We're all sleeping around. It was like a hobble. But guess what? That's what we had to do, you know. And it's and it's changed a little bit now. It's a little more funding coming from the ATP tour. They've decided this year, so there'll be some some more money for those kids. So I don't know. I don't think it'll be that bleak. Uh, but you know, it's still hard work. You know, you go and grind week to week, and if you're not winning matches, that's the time that kids want to not do it, right? And it's hard. And you know, if we can get people to to travel with these kids and and help them through the losing process. Losing is, in, you know, an integral part of tennis. That's when you play your best tennis. You don't play your best tennis when you're winning. When you're winning, you're just doing what you're doing, and it's working, and you just keep doing what you're doing. The best tennis happens when you're losing, and you figure out a way to not let that happen. Philosophically, as the Davis Cup captain, you'd probably love someone, and you'd see a little bit of yourself maybe in Ruben Statham, because he is... he always fights but you're going to have to find another spearhead soon yes i mean it's you know getting to the point now where you know there's got to be a whole new team out there you know the doubles team i think is you know if those guys are awesome i mean watching them in newport it was so fun watching them play i mean i played pretty good doubles but not that good doubles and it was just awesome to see them play out there i hope they stick around and keep playing um because that's a good anchor for the younger guys coming in you know that, that we could get and, uh, you know, and Ruben's, you know, hats off to Ruben. Ruben's, you know, established himself as an icon of, you know, New Zealand Davis Cup tennis. And, you know, are his years numbered? Yes, I believe they are because he's getting older, he's getting injuries, and, and, it, and it's just hard to keep going at that age. Um, but, you know, he's also, maybe he can help us mentor some of the young guys. I mean, that's, that's you know. Do you have a, do you have a, a, repl- a ready replacement already? Well, no, we don't. I don't know. I'm, this is all new to me, right? I've seen, you know, Finn Reynolds. I've seen a few other guys, but you know, having hands on and seeing them up close and personal is kind of my specialty. Looking at guys, you know, and you know, I don't. I, I can't say there's a guy that I can put out there that's you know better than him right now. I, I don't have that. Okay, so so when we when we think about the Davis Cup, you played twenty Davis Cup ties. What's the most memorable one mm-hmm. for you, Kelly? Beating Yugoslavia was was huge in Christchurch. Uh, you know, they were seeded second in the Davis Cup that year, and we went down there and beat them, and that was, you know, and I wasn't playing well, and, you know, this is part of the, the thing that I want to try to get the kids. I, I hadn't won a match in, you know, three, four months coming into that tie, and, you know, all my team did was encourage and help and, you know, urge me on and get me to work because they that they knew I had, to, I had to go out there and win those matches. And, you know, I played above my level for that tie based on the fact that the team got behind me. And that's kind of the thing that I need to, to, to try to get these other kids thing. You're not in it alone when you're playing Davis Cup. Yes, you are when you're playing on tour. But when you're playing Davis Cup, there's a whole bunch of people that are behind you. And the whole country of New Zealand gets behind you, too, when, when it you know gets in a battle like that. And it's one of the most rare occasions where you can be a team in tennis. Yeah, very. And it's such a great thing to be a team. You know, the... You go to the Olympics, and yes, you're kind of a team, but you're not really, you know, a part of everything because you don't see those guys, you know, all the other athletes very much, except at the Olympics, you know, and you cheer for them. But Davis Cup is tennis. It's like, you know, the All Blacks. It's like the Black Caps. It's like everything like that that, you you know, you get to say, I represented my country for my country, and the whole country gets behind you. Man, I can feel I can feel the excitement oozing out of your pores. For you, though, for the last 20-odd, 30-odd years, has it been... Uh coaching tennis your own academy 
I, we, I work at a Mercer Island Country Club, which we chose to live in, in Seattle, Washington. And there's a, a club that's called Mercer Island, on, a, on an island called Mercer Island. And, and my wife said to me, we don't, I, we don't care. I said to my wife, I said, I don't care where we live as long as my kids go to one school district. And, you know, our kids have grown up in the school district and now they're finished. And what are they doing now? Oh, we dropped them off. Okay, well, that's okay. Well, we we apologise for that. Uh, I we sh- should we try and get him back. Although he has certainly he has certainly filled filled us full of uh, excitement with the way he talks about uh, Davis Cup tennis. Is there a go or a no? No, is are you back there? Are you still there, Kelly? Yeah, I'm here. Oh, okay, yep, we we, we we lost you for a moment. So so what did the kids did you t- the kids play tennis? No, they tried it. They didn't like it. And they both play lacrosse. They're both varsity lacrosse players at the high school. Um, and they love that game because they get to hit things, you know, hit people <laughs> more than they hit tennis balls. Uh, and uh, they have a lot of fun with it, and they both done really well. And, you know, it, it's kind of – it was – otherwise, tennis would have driven me nuts if I had my kids in it, I think, the whole time. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's good to have that separation. Well, it sounds to me like you're you're ready to rock and roll with the New Zealand Davis Cup team. Once again, congratulations. It's it's great to have you back in the system, buddy. Thank you, Stephen. Great talking to you. Yeah, likewise. Kelly Everton, one of our Davis Cup greats, and you always knew when he was on when he was on the court, something was gonna happen. That that fills me with hope. That's what it does. It's one forty five. Summer days on SENZ. It's Kiwi for Sport. 150, that's 10 to 2. Okay, not too far away, the lads. Think, is, is the Rick Dog, Ricardo, is, is he back with us today? He is, that's good. Okay, Monaro's producer, yeah, he's back. We'll have a chat to him before 2 o'clock. But okay, so what happens next? I think I may have got it wrong, what I think it is. So have a listen and you tell me. Why are you gargling? Why are you gargling? Why are you gargling? Well, Glenn has to start walking because he's not going to stay there. <laughs> they send him off separately. You think he might as well get on his bike? He might as well get down. Yes, sir. Well, there he goes. <laughs> well, they start pedalling at him. So, Stephen, that is part one. And <laughs> okay, b- before so. the Kelly Evenden interview, you said it was an origin yeah, moment. Uh, yeah, it was. And then I saw a text come in. So, which I think is on the money, and I failed to listen properly to the last word, which was the name of a player. It was Adam. Adam. It was. So let's listen. Listen to the whole thing and see what happens next. So you go for ten. Why you go, Glenn? Why you go, Glenn? Why you go, Glenn? Well, Glenn has to start walking because he's not going to stay there. <laughs> They send him off separately. You think he might as well get on his bike? He might as well get down. Yes, sir. Well, there he goes. <laughs> well, they start peddling at him. So it was Adam Blair and Glenn Stewart in an embrace of the century. And they're still... <laughs> Hang on. We've got to stay... Oh, it's on again! It's on again! Yes! Glenn Stewart and Adam Blair, and here come the... Uh, here come the reinforcements! Well, we knew there was rivalry. 
Well, that takes me back to a couple of blokes that got sent off at a test match in Brisbane many years ago. Was it Greg Dowling and a fella called Tamata or something? They got off the field and then they carried it on. Yeah, Kevin Tamati. There we go. The, the Bella Brook. Bale. There we go. Oh, yeah, I, I should I should have known. We get we got some we got a couple in there. So and uh, there was a there's a no name numbered. There's a number there, and I think uh, uh, Brian is ringing them now. So they they said Glenn should Adam Blair being sent off and then having another stoush on the way. Gotta love it. That's what we. Well, that's what I miss. It's one fifty three. He'd put himself in front of you. So that is our Mount Rushmore on this Tuesday here on SENZ Summer Days. It's one twenty-four for John to give us his latest news and sport update. But before that, a quick what happens next? Of course, we've been doing this every day, Stephen, giving away $50 uh, thanks to the TAB. If you can guess what happens next, here is part one. Well, Glenn might as well start walking because he's not going to stay there. <laughs> they send him off separately. You think he might as well get on his bike? He might as well get down. Yes, sir. There he goes. <laughs> start pedalling at him. Oh, okay. So I, I've got an idea. Was that coming through loud and clear for you? I, th- I think it's probably one of the. the it's, it's an origin match, and there is a send off. And I think I know. I think I know. You Hold, think you know? I think if you know, double eight double three. What happens next? Double eight double three. We'll play it again after this news up. One thirty-two on SENZ Summer Days across New Zealand and Australia here with Stephen McIver, 0800 150 811. When you think about tennis back in the mid-80s, mid-90s with New Zealand and you think about the Davis Cup, which sadly has taken a bit of a backseat in world tennis and they've, they've mucked with it a lot a bit. A bit. There, was one, there was one figure that always stood out for New Zealand. Headband, long hair and an attitude of never, ever say die. And if I'm down, I will prove to you that I am not out. And that man has now been named as New Zealand's new Davis Cup captain. That is Kelly Evenden, who joins us right now. Hello, Kelly. Hey, Stephen. How are you? I'm good, mate. Uh, So let's be really blunt here. At 60, do you still sport the long hair? Uh, No. I've given up the long hair. It's too much grey in my face. (laughs) Well, congratulations on your new role. Is it something that you wanted or you you asked? Well, you know, I I think you always want to try and do something to help. And, you know, I've raised my family in in America and my kids are old enough to take care of themselves now. And I kind of like, you know, if I've got something to give, I've got to give it soon because I'm, you know, not getting any younger. Um, You know, and the opportunity kind of arose and had some conversations with the Intense New Zealand and, you know, high-performance coach back there, Christoph, and and, and it kind of seems to be um, kind of a good time and a good fit for me right now. You see, the the role of the Davis Cup captain is not really well understood by those who Mm -hmm. don't follow tennis. So how do you see the role? Well, you know, my role is is to kind of, you know, motivate, and, and, you know, involve all of the kids that are on the team and get them to kind of put their best foot forward and and try and do something that's really difficult, right? You know, 
at, at the moment, we're probably undergunned um, versus the teams that we're playing, but it doesn't mean we can't win. You know, and I think as the captain, I think all the coaching is being done by the coaches back there trying to get the kids to play as well as they can. And, and my job is to kind of put them together as a team and get them to, you know, kind of punch above their weight. Um, you know, and that's that's kind of what I've always looked at at Davis. You know, we were always the underdog in Davis Cup. And, and you know, we, we had some great victories. We, we had losses in places that we should have had losses. But the fact that, you know, you go out there and put the best team out there with the best team atmosphere and with the best, you know, kind of, well, these kids really want to fight for New Zealand, you know, good things happen. Do you think that is something that you are working against, whereas the the tennis schedule, the world calendar, and the messing around with the Davis Cup is making it harder to get the best to play? I, I think that there's so many, you know, other events that they put on, you know, the, the, the Cup that Federer started, and, you know, there's a lot of events, and I think you know, Davis Cup longest running team competition in the world, and and, and I think it, it still holds that really special place in in all of those, you know, top tier players' minds. But there's also other people in from places, you know, that they can they have a team of eight or nine guys that can go out there and win the matches, and then they only have to show up in the finals. We don't have that luxury. We know we need to have you know our best people show up every single time we play, or else we you know we don't really have a, a fighting chance. So. You know, it, it, it's tough to say that it's it's losing importance because to me it was the most important thing, you know, for me to do when I played, you know, was play for New Zealand. Um, you know, so I, I'd like to kind of not say it's being diminished by all of these other events, but I think in, in, in some way it, it, it kind of has been overtaken by a lot of, you know, ancillary kind of events that people put on for their own benefit. Kelly, what do you think is the formula to produce... ATP, WTA-capable players from New Zealand. Is it the American college system? I'm not sure it is. It used to be. Um, you know, there's a bit, lot of uh, chatter about, you know, well, you've got to go to college, got to go to the U.S., got to get in a team. You know, the, the problem is the coaching, right? You can't have 500 kids over here and say that there's 500 good coaches. You know, there's probably 10 or 12 really good coaches in college tennis. And if you're not at one of those schools, you're not going to get the benefit of having that, that, that great input and that great, you know, insights to what tennis is really like. Um, you know, there's a lot of, you know, secondary tier coaches at a lot of schools that people are going to. And, and unfortunately, you know, people don't look at it. They look at if you get into a college in the United States, you, you know, you have a chance to be great. That's not true. I mean, you know, the, the formative years, between the ages of, you know, 18, 17, 18 to 22 are so critically important um, that you have to have good instruction during that time because that's when you're honing your moves. That, you know, you, you're, you're, your forehand and your backhand and your volume and your serve are pretty much done at 18, and now you're trying to figure out how to actually make it all work in a, you know, a cohesive pattern to go out and win matches. And, and that's the thing that, you know, not a lot of college coaches are really teaching their kids to play that's trying to get oil. Oh, he's better than him. We'll put him in three and we'll put that guy at five and, you know, maybe we'll win a match. And, and they're not taking them and looking at him going, you know, we need to restructure this. We need to redo that. We need to put you in a place that you can play and, and make him feel comfortable. So, you know, there's a lot of bad coaching going on in college tennis. There is some great coaches in there. And if you get to those schools, I think that, you know, fantastic, but there are they're, they're not a lot of them. So what's the what's the what's the best way? What is the simple simplistic answer for 
talented tennis players in this country? What what route do they take? I think I think unfortunately, you know, they have to leave the country. I mean, they have to get out of the country. They have to go and travel and play in tournaments you know, globally, and I, and I think that, you know, based on the way the Europeans are dominating tennis at this time, I think you have to go to Europe. You have to go and play on clay. You've got to get out there and, and go head-to-head with these, you know, young kids that are, you know, a dime a dozen, it seems, all over, you know, these countries, and, and, and really kind of pit yourself against them from an early stage so that you can see what you have to be able to attain to get there. And, you know, I remember... When I first came to America, I thought, well, yeah, I'm pretty good. I showed up, and, you know, this guy's out there doing 300 push-ups and running 10 <laughs> miles before practice, and I'm going, wow, okay, so there's another level. You know, and, and it's it's not a level until you actually see it for yourself. And, and, you know, I know these guys are traveling, and I know they're playing, but, you know, there has to be a concerted plan for them to go out of there and, and play a, a lot of events. I mean, it takes a lot of losing for you to become a good winner. I think what people fail to realise in tennis, particularly at the lower levels when you're going through ITF tournaments, you're going through challenger tournaments, it's a grind. Oh, yeah. Horrible grind. I mean, you know, you stay in cheap hotels and driving, you know, 10 people in a car. And, you know, sometimes, I I remember staying in a hotel in Wilmington, North Carolina. I slept in, in a room with eight people. Threw the matches off the bed. We're all sleeping around. It was like a hobble, but... Guess what? That's what we had to do, you know. And it's and it's changed a little bit now. It's a little more funding coming from the ATP tour. They've decided this year, so there'll be some some more money for those kids. So I don't know. I don't think it'll be that bleak. Uh, but you know, it's still hard work. You know, you go and grind week to week, and if you're not winning matches, that's the time that kids want to not do it, right? And it's hard. And you know, if we can get people to to travel with these kids and and help them through the losing process. Losing is, in, you know, an integral part of tennis. That's when you play your best tennis. You don't play your best tennis when you're winning. When you're winning, you're just doing what you're doing, and it's working, and you just keep doing what you're doing. The best tennis happens when you're losing, and you figure out a way to not let that happen. Philosophically, as the Davis Cup captain, you'd probably love someone, and you'd see a little bit of yourself maybe in Ruben Statham, because he is... he always fights but you're going to have to find another spearhead soon yes i mean it's you know getting to the point now where you know there's got to be a whole new team out there you know the doubles team i think is you know if those guys are awesome i mean watching them in newport it was so fun watching them play i mean i played pretty good doubles but not that good doubles and it was just awesome to see them play out there i hope they stick around and keep playing um because that's a good anchor for the younger guys coming in you know that, that we could get and, you know, and Ruben's, you know, hats off to Ruben. Ruben's, you know, established himself as an icon of, you know, New Zealand Davis Cup tennis. And, you know, are his years numbered? Yes, I believe they are because he's getting older, he's getting injuries, and, and, it, and it's just hard to keep going at that age. Um, but, you know, he's also, maybe he can help us mentor some of the young guys. I mean, that's, that's you know. Do, do you have, a, do you have a, a, repl- a ready replacement already? Well, no, we don't. I don't know. I'm, this is all new to me, right? I've seen, you know, Finn Reynolds. I've seen a few other guys, but you know, having hands on and seeing them up close and personal is kind of my specialty. Looking at guys, you know, and you know, I don't. I, I can't say there's a guy that I can put out there that's, you know, better than him right now. I, I don't have that. Okay, so so when we when we think about the Davis Cup, you played twenty Davis Cup ties. What's the most memorable one mm-hmm. for you, Kelly? Beating Yugoslavia was was huge in Christchurch. Uh, you know, they were seated second in the Davis Cup that year, and we went down there and beat them, and that was, 
you know, and I wasn't playing well. And, you know, this is part of the, the thing that I want to try to get the kids. I, I hadn't won a match in, you know, three, four months coming into that tie. And, you know, all my team did was encourage and help and, you know, urge me on and get me to work because they that they knew I had to I had to go out there and win those matches. And you know, I played above my level for that tie based on the fact that the team got behind me. And that's kind of the thing that I need to to, to try to get these other kids seeing. You're not in it alone when you're playing Davis Cup. Yes you are when you're playing on tour, but when you're playing Davis Cup there's a whole bunch of people that are behind you and the whole country of New Zealand gets behind you too when, when it you know, gets in a battle like that. And it's one of the most rare occasions where you can be a team in tennis. Yeah, very, and it's such a great thing to be a team. You know, the, you go to the Olympics, and yes, you're kind of a team, but you're not really, you know, a part of everything because you don't see those guys, you know, all the other athletes very much, except at the Olympics, you know, and you cheer for them. But Davis Cup is tennis. It's like, you know, the All Blacks. It's like the Black Caps. It's like everything like that that you, you know, you get to say, I represented my country for my country, and the whole country gets behind you. Man, I can feel I can feel the excitement oozing out of your pores. For you, though, for the last 20-odd, 30-odd years, has it been uh, coaching tennis, your own academy? I, we, I work at a Mercer Island Country Club, which we chose to live in, in Seattle, Washington, and there's a, a club called Mercer Island, on, a, on an island called Mercer Island. And, and my wife said to me, we don't, we don't care. I said to my wife, I said, I don't care where we live as long as my kids go to one school district. And, you know, our kids have grown up in the school district and now they're finished. And what are they doing now? Oh, we dropped them off. Okay. Well, that's okay. Well, we'll we apologize for that. Uh, I, we sh- should we try and get them back, although. He has certainly he has certainly filled filled us full of uh, excitement with the way he talks about uh, Davis Cup tennis. Is there a go or a no? No, is, are you back there? Are you still there, Kelly? Yeah, I'm here. Oh, okay. Yep, we we, we, we we lost you for a moment. So so what did the kids did you the kids play tennis? No, they tried it. They didn't like it. And they both play lacrosse. They both varsity lacrosse players at the high school. Um, and they love that game because they get to hit things, you know, hit people <laughs> more than they hit tennis balls. Uh, <laughs> And uh, they have a lot of fun with it, and they both done really well. And you know, it, it's kind of it was otherwise tennis would have driven me nuts if I had my kids in it. I think the whole time. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's good to have that separation. Well, it sounds to me like you're you're ready to rock and roll with the New Zealand Davis Cup team once again. Congratulations! It's it's great to have you back in the system, buddy. Thank you, Stephen. Great talking to you. Yeah, likewise, Kelly Everton, one of our Davis Cup greats, and. You always knew when he was on when he was on the court, something was going to happen. That that fills me with hope. That's what it does. It's one forty-five. Summer days on SENZ. It's Kiwi for sport. One fifty. That's ten to two. Okay, not too far away. The lads think is is the Rick dog Ricardo. Is is he back with us today? He is. That's good. Okay, Monaro's producer. Yeah, he's back. We'll have a chat to him before two o'clock. But okay. So what happens next? I think I may have got it wrong. What I think it is. So have a listen and you tell me. Why you gargling? Why you gargling? Why you gargling? Well, Glenn has to start walking because he's not going to stay there. <laughs> they send him off set. You think he might as well get on his bike? He might as well get down. Yeah, see him. There he goes. <laughs> <laughs> well, they start pedalling at him. 
So, Stephen, that is part one. And <laughs> okay, b- before so. the Kelly Evenden interview, you said it was an origin yeah, moment. Uh, yeah, it was. And then I saw a text come in. So. Which I think is on the money. And I failed to listen properly to the last word, which was the name of a player. It was. Adam. Adam. It was. So let's listen, listen to the whole thing and see what happens next. So you go for 10. What are you going, Glenn? What are you going, Glenn? What are you going, Glenn? Well, Glenn has to start walking because he's not going to stay there. <laughs> They send him off set. You think he might as well get on his bike? He might as well get down. Yes, sir. There he goes. Well, they start peddling at him. So it was Adam Blair and Glenn Stewart in an embrace of the century. And they're still... <laughs> Hang on. we better stay... Oh, it's on again! It's on again! Yes! Glenn Stewart and Adam Blair, and here come the... Well, we knew there was rivalry. Well, that takes me back to a couple of blokes that got sent off at a test match in Brisbane many years ago. Was it Greg Dowling and a fella called Tamata or something? They got off the field and then they carried it on. Yeah, Kevin Tenby. There we go. The, the Battle, Battle of Brookvale. Brook- <laughs> there we go. Oh, yeah, I, I should I should have known. We get we got some we got a couple in there. So and uh, uh, there was a there's a no name number. There's a number there, and I think uh, uh, Brian is ringing them now. So they they said Glenn Stewart, Adam Blair being sent off, and then having another stoush on the way. Gotta love it. That's what we. Well, that's what I miss. It's one fifty three.